0: What would your family do with an extra $108,000? That's a problem that our listener Jacob out in Colorado has. Now, thanks to savewithconrad.com. He recently saved money with us over at savewithconrad.com, gave us a five-star review, and wrote this. Our previous mortgage company made each step of the process difficult, but Jimmy took it in stride and made it happen. He was able to lock us in at 1.5% less than we were at, and saved us $108,000 over the life of the loan. Guys, that's unbelievable. Jacob saved more than hundred and eight dollars But how much can you save? It's free to find out right now. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. And with lesson number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. And oh, by the way, did we mention no house payments for two months? and we're licensed in more than 40 states. So what are you waiting for? Start saving money today at SaveWithConrad.com. If you can hear my voice and you're within driving distance of Baltimore, you need to get there on Saturday, June 12th. Now, hopefully you've already picked up your tickets because the night before at Jimmy's Famous Seafood on the 11th, you can see Myers and Cardona do their thing. And the night after on the 13th, the Good Brothers are rolling into town. But on the 12th, It's the very first ever live my world with Jeff Jarrett. We've never done a live show, but Jeff has been working hard to compile some stories. He doesn't think we should ever tell on the podcast. And I've been working to secure and I'm happy to announce we've landed a very special mystery guest. You don't want to miss it, but let me give you a tease. Baltimore is going to love it. Of course, it's all going down at Jimmy's Famous Seafood. And let me just remind you, by the way, literally everyone who comes is getting the VIP treatment. You're going to be able to go through and get all your pictures, get your autographs, do a little meet and greet with Jeff and myself. But then you're going to hear some great stories that you can't hear anywhere else. And we've also got some really fun little prizes and keepsakes for you. If you picked one up, picked up one of our front row seats, we've got some swag and some merch that you can't even buy that we're going to give you that it might be the coolest thing we've ever made for adfreeshows.com As far as uh, merchandise goes, swag goes, it's really, really cool. How about this? Jeff was so excited to see it, he took some home for his family just to show off. Hey, look at this new cool merch we got. It's going to make its debut, and you're going to get the hookup. If you're at Jimmy's Famous Seafood, you'll get the best crab cakes in the world, stories you can't hear anywhere else, and swag you can't buy with a guest you don't want to miss. It's Jeff and ConradLive.com. That's where to pick up your tickets for Saturday, June 12th in Baltimore, Maryland. That's Saturday, June 12th, Baltimore, Maryland. At the world famous Jimmy's Famous Seafood. And of course you can pick up your tickets right now at Jeff and That's Jeff and Conrad We'll see you there in Baltimore,
1: June twelfth, at Jimmy's Famous Seafood. At Jeff and Conrad You've heard it before, adfreeshows.com is early and ad-free. Well, it turns out adfreeshows.com is a lot more than just that. It's incredible bonus shows, not only extra shows from your favorite podcast hosts, but interactive experiences. Picture this, you get to watch some of your favorite matches with the voice of your childhood, Tony Schiavone. You get to ask Jim Ross anything you want, not by typing it in a chat window, no. It's video conferencing with these legends. You don't want to miss it. It all happens at adfreeshows.com every single day. Month. But there's also other legends that you can't hear anywhere else, like Monday Mailbag with Jerry Briscoe. How about all the stories that guy has? Not only from being an in ring performer, but owning a territory, being one of Vince McMahon's right hand guys. Come on, so much meat on the bone. And what about Mike Kyota, a Hall of Fame referee who's been with the company for decades? We're talking all the way from the Hogan era to Roman Reigns era and everything in between. You can't hear his stories anywhere else except on adfreeshows.com. We know you love professional wrestling and perhaps the most prolific trainer of all time. He's exclusive to adfreeshows.com. It's Dr. Tom Pritchard. You've got your favorite matches, but why is it your favorite match? You're going to love X-Ray with Dr. Tom every single week on adfreeshows.com and tons of other comedians and fun stuff like happy hour. That's right. Happy hour. You get to drink with Medusa or Rebel every single week and it keeps getting better. Check out the book club, the archives, show notes. From title chase to conversations with Conrad, it's an unprecedented look at some of the greatest legends of adfreeshows.com. So sign up today, don't push it off any longer, and join us now over at adfreeshows.com.
0: Flapnut. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson and you're listening to my world. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer himself, Double J, Mr. Jeff Jarrett. Jeff, how are you, man?
2: Good Conrad. How we doing? We're sort of, uh, we've sort of got the, uh, pregame jitters and the first game jitters and, uh, we're, we're early. We're still really early in season one, like that NFL season that, uh, you know, get through September and see how, uh, the, the just the, the, the wheels hadn't come off the tracks, uh, so to speak, but, um, uh, I'm excited. Uh, life is good. It's interesting. It's, uh, overwhelming at times. Um, lots of moving parts, but, uh, here we are. Um, What is this episode five?
0: Yeah, man. Time flies. I can't believe this is a real thing, but this is the episode that I've been looking forward to the most. If you haven't already go check out the archives of my world, anywhere you enjoy podcasts. Episode one was a barn burner holding up Vince McMahon. We've still got to decide. Was it a 38? Was it a peace shooter? What was it? Uh, And then episode two fired on national TV. Vince gets his revenge. Perhaps the most well-received podcast I've ever done was episode three, remembering Owen Hart. And last week we told the world wrestling all-star story that we sort of subtitled, not a boat story, uh, but the genesis of TNA happened with a conversation and ideas surrounding world wrestling all-stars. And then of course that famous boat conversation down in Louisiana on Bob Ryder's boat. But here we are. How we started TNA or what I'm sort of affectionately calling, let's start a wrestling promotion and uh, let's start a little bit from the beginning. Oh, and I should give a a quick plug here. We used your dad's book for a lot of our research today. So if you're at all interested in more context and what we're discussing today, this is the perfect companion piece. The story of the development of NWA TNA, a new concept in pay-per-view programming. We picked up our copies on Amazon. Uh, I bought this book back when it first came out in 04 And then when I knew you and I were going to be doing a podcast, I looked through my office here and I couldn't find it. So I ordered another copy. And then when you came to visit, I said, here, just take my copy and I'll read this one. But since then, Dave Silva and a bunch of other guys in the office have picked it up because I've been hyping up. This is going to be a fun show. And I think one of the reasons, Jeff, I'm so fascinated with this particular topic is as you know, you and I have a entrepreneurial spirit that we share And I love business and I love, you know, revenue and and business strategies and business plans and pro formas. And I just, I think all of that stuff is fun. And I like creating stuff as evidenced by my 900 podcasts. So this is sort of the ultimate version of that. If you're a wrestling fan and you go back and you look at all the other companies that have started since, I don't know, 1970, I mean, I guess ring of honor still hanging around, but outside of that. It's really down to NWA T and a, I mean, everybody else, whether it was ECW or Smoky mountain or literally anything else. I mean, in fact, all the way back, you don't have to go to the seventies besides Vince and I guess ring of honor and, and, and T a they're all gone. And to know that you were there at the very beginning and it was your idea and you were the driving force and we get to pick your brain. That's pretty cool, man. So I'm excited for today's episode.
2: Well, let's get first things first, Conrad. You said let's start a Rassin company. So, folks that are not from the South, is that with two S's and two L's? R A double S I double L I N because it's Rasselin. Is that is that accurate spelling?
0: I've always spelled it R A S S L I N.
2: Okay, well, you misspelled it, pal. Uh, but no, uh, and, and then uh, full disclosure. Um, you know, that the, the, you know, this is what you just did. In my opinion, was the anti Foley plug. That was not a plug for 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 uh, my, my my father's book. Uh, you gave it to me. I did thumb through it, but uh, as we've sort of shared, uh, as going into uh, the early discussions of this podcast, I lived it. Yeah. Um that's his version, his recollection. Right, uh, it was published in two thousand four. Uh, so I'm curious to hear. Um, you know, any Meltzer based questions or, or, or I know back in the day, uh, uh way Keller, uh, and you know, there was actually with Bob Ryder on board, um, one There, there was quite the early internet chatter going yeah. on. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm curious to hear the research done. Um, this is going to jog some of my memory, uh, yes. Lots of moving parts uh, back in 2001, 2002 to go from the summer of no worries to let's start a wrestling company. Uh, wow. So I, I am uh, excited for this podcast for a couple of reasons, uh, but more than ever, it, it's, you know, I've, I've obviously never had this platform to, to tell this story. But there is a we could end up, Conrad, and I have no idea where you're really going to go with all this. This could be a real, we'll call it a 30,000 viewpoint story. We could uh, drop on down to just below, uh, under the clouds, or we could take the helicopter version. Or we, if we wanted to, we could uh, beat the pavement and really get granular because there's so many ins and outs and ups and downs. And the, the, the blind ambition, the luck, the delusional optimism, sort of all rolled into one in 2002 Uh, it's 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 when I look back on it now and you just basically said it, you know, it's still in existence. Yeah. Um, What it came from uh, just an idea. uh, It's um, it's a head scratcher for me at times uh, on, on so many, because nobody gave it a chance. If you lined up all those companies that you just talked of and had to pick one that was not going to make it, we would have been at the top of the list everybody's list. And if they tell you any different, especially after the first 90 days, uh, I, I'm not sure I would believe them, but with that being said, uh, I am excited about, uh, to, to dive into this. It, 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 uh, I'm curious to see where you take it. I'll just say that. Well, let's say
0: this too. You know, we are going to take a granular approach. I'm glad that you sort of addressed that up front because you and I talked last night and I said, man, I know we had originally planned that this might just be one episode, but the more we talk about it, the more I think it's more like two, maybe three. And I want to be clear. And I I know we've talked about this on some of my other podcasts. I never go into a recording session like you and I are right now and say, well, we need to have this many minutes of content. That's not what we're doing. It's not like it's a a block of cable TV and we've got to go 48 minutes or whatever, Uh, We're going to cover this story as thoroughly and as detailed as we can, because I'm just fascinated by it. And what I don't want to do is, I mean, you sort of rush through it and then we're going to pay more attention to a, an ACEs and eight storyline later in the future than we are the creation of this damn thing. And by the (laughs) way, I'm a fan of ACEs and eights, but I'm just saying in the scheme of things, it was fucking ACEs and eights, but this is the development of a, of a whole company. So I want to take it bit by bit and, and cover and uncover rather all that we can Uh, let's pick up where we left off. Uh, we just talked about world wrestling, all stars, and we talked about that pay-per-view in Vegas, but the first time we saw any world wrestling, all stars on American pay-per-view was January 6th. And that's the, uh, the October inception pay-per-view in Australia, but it's finally airing here in the States. And your dad had a journey intro, uh, easy for me to say (laughs) a journal entry that day that says Jeff asked if I could come to his house to help him with a business plan to present to a potential investor for a pro wrestling venture. The plan is a wonderful plan and that eliminates the difficult and costly weekly broadcast wrestling show, which is used to promote live events and build interest for pay-per-views. The plan is to produce 52 weeks of pay-per-view. So lots to unpack here. First of all, you
1: have
2: story. There's a lot done back here. Just what's fascinating is is you reading that and just thinking from, I'll, I'll call it sort of the casual fan. Uh, but first off, you said what a, a, a thing a, a concept that that is so foreign to me. I've you know Memphis TV 90 minutes. We got to break it down into an hour. Raws two hours. Then it went to three hours. Smackdown's two hours. This you, you have a live event, and yes, you're not having mark times, but you don't want to keep them past two and a half three hours. I, I've I'm indoctrinated on hitting marks times yeah, yeah. And, and here you are flipping the, 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 the script, so to speak and say, Hey bud, we're going to go until we go. So, uh, but, and and then you reading that from, it's not like it's a, 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 a biographer uh, yeah. maybe so, yeah. That, that's my father writing that and, and him writing in his journal that I'm going to go present a business plan. That's, I, I guess I'm just really, uh, Framing it in my own brain, so, yeah, a lot to unpack, sorry for the sidebar,
0: no, no, listen, I'm glad to do it, and uh by the way, just before we get rolling, we threw out all the rules with something to wrestle years ago when we first started that podcast with Bruce Pritchard, they said, hey, don't go longer than an hour and don't curse and uh don't front load ads and promotion for all your own stuff. Well, anybody who listens to my stuff realizes we ain't doing none of that, uh, <laughs> and it served us well, and we're gonna continue to do that and you know, here's the thing. When when the show starts to drag me and you get fatigued or the content starts to suck. We'll, uh, as y'all used to say, go home early, but in the meantime, let's just keep it rolling here. Let's talk about January 6th. Mm -hmm. You've, um, we talked a little bit uh, last week about your frustration with Andrew McManus over the whole Randy Savage thing. Is that what leads you to having your dad come over on the very day that the pay-per-view is airing January 6th? And Talk to me about this potential investor at that point. Did you have someone in mind or is it more of a, let's just form a business plan of what it might look like?
2: Yeah, it's form a business plan. And, you know, as my memory begins to get jarred and, uh, you know, th- th- thoughts come up in my brain and all this, you know, the, the, I could remember in the summer of no worries thinking about. You know, when you're out on the lake, you have so much time to sort of let things digest. And then I go from that to 9-11, which obviously is a world, you know, a, certainly a national tragedy. But it put, you know, kids that weren't around during those times. You know, it just 9-11 was huge. And yeah. I can remember getting on a plane and traveling and thinking, wow, I'm pretty grateful that I can go back to work. Because, you know, the world stopped for yeah. a week. or or so. Um, But, but going from the summer of no worries and lots of time on my hand and then diving in and uh, you know, the process of, of, of working with Andrew and doing the tours and doing Australia and that, you know, that was hard travel. I loved it, but I'm not, you know, certainly not complaining then or now. And then the UK tours and, and I'll say sort of like, okay, what's the next phase of my career. Um, But, but going back to putting things in, in sort of like full context, like, okay, Vince just bought his competition, which says a lot. Yeah. Maybe the company wasn't running on all cylinders by any stretch, but it was still a very, not one, but two highly rated shows. And now it's over. So the television world was not looking favorably upon, um, I mean, society in a lot of ways, you know, I, I said, you know, church uh, folks at church last week. I don't know if I mentioned that on this podcast or another interview I did, you know, I had people wherever it was, you know, the attitude era and, and some of the content uh, turned people away. Uh, and it's certainly uh, a all time Warner for them to cancel the shows and, and to give the opportunity. And as the news began to slowly uh, get out. Um, it was just really interesting. Like, okay, what are next steps? And then going on those tours and, and me, you know, not only my talent hat and and wrestling fan hat, but but a promoter hat thinking there's a real opportunity here. Let's dive in and figure out what what are our real opportunities? What can and can't we do? Uh, Again, you you said the entrepreneurial spirit. That's it. Let's look at things. And my dad, you know, growing up, whether it was a car lot or selling case knives or land or whatever kind of crazy hobby or side business he got into – Uh, he was always up, uh, for talking business always. And so let's, you know, let's sit down and chat and probably watch the pay-per-view and and talk about life and talk about the industry. And, you know, he was knee deep in his construction world. So, uh, just like, okay, what's going on? I want to pick your brain. Maybe you're going to bring something out of me. So, and we have done that off and on for years. I mean, I remember riding back from Memphis TV when I was a first year in the business, he'd say, what'd you think? And I kind of knew it was a loaded question. <laughs> I'm like, Oh boy, what's he really asking here? But just talking that, you know, he, that's, that's a way of educating. And he would continue to say, look, I, I, I won't, I want you to tell me what you think. And then let's talk about it. Not, I don't want to tell you what I think. I know what I think. I wrote it or Lala wrote it, whatever. So just having business conversations about uh, the industry. So one of the things you're gonna learn real quick
0: listening to My World with Jeff Jarrett is that Jeff is more than quote unquote just one of the boys. Jeff is also a promoter's kid. So Jeff is very business minded. We're gonna be talking about money a lot here on the show. Let's talk about money right now. How many subscription services are you paying for each month? Do you even though Subscriptions add up, and sometimes we don't notice those little monthly deductions from our bank accounts. Did you sign up for a bunch of subscription services during quarantine? I know I did. I think, I think I signed up for all of them. But now that we're headed back into the real world, you really need, or does your family really need or use all those apps and streaming video services? Probably not. 80% of people have subscriptions that they don't even know about. They literally signed up and they forgot about it. Are you one of them? What are you doing to save money and take control of your finances? How do you track all of your bill payments and budgets? Are you still using clunky Excel spreadsheets? Is your desk covered with scattered post-it notes? Here's the pro tip. Truebill is the smartest way to manage your finances. They have an easy-to-use app. You can review your recurring charges all in one place. And you can even cancel subscriptions directly through the app. They have a variety of tools to help customers improve their finances. You can create a monthly budget and expenses. You can track and evaluate savings goals. You can automate savings, so you choose how much you put away weekly. You can even get push notifications when you're getting close to going over your budget or when your cash is running low. And you can even better than all that, easily identify fraudulent activity. And you want to know about that right away. They offer multiple ways to save you on your bills. That's just the true bill way, man. Oh, and check this out. Work with many of the nation's top providers to negotiate and lower your bills. You're going to enjoy bank-level security. You're going to feel good about your finances. And people tend to think they spend like $80 a month on subscriptions, but in actuality, it's close to like $200 a month. Truebill has saved its users more than $50 million. They've got over 1 million users. Go read their rave reviews right now for yourself at Truebill.com. Check this out. The average person saves $720 per year with Truebill. Get started today at Truebill.com slash Jeff. Take control of your finances and start saving at Truebill.com slash Jeff. That's Truebill.com slash Jeff. So your dad was your go-to to bounce off business ideas at the time.
2: Certainly right up there at the top. Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: Let's sort of set the stage here for your dad. Well, I guess you too. You're 34 here. Does that sound right? Yes. And your dad's 59, no longer in the wrestling business. He's gotten into the construction business and he's had some really big years. He's been working with BP and shell stations to sort of re-image them. And he wrote in his book that his projections for the year 2002, uh, were $15 million in profit by comparison, his best year in the wrestling business was 1.2 million. Um, given his current lot in life at the time, why do you think he even considered getting back into wrestling? Did your dad have the, uh, the wrestling bug? It's been said that once you have that in your system, you just, it's nearly impossible to shake it off. Was that true of your dad, do you think?
2: Without question. And, you know, at different stages, and I'm not just saying him, many folks, especially as the years go by, you know, he, he at the time he can say, Oh, I want to get back in. I hate the wrestling business, but I'm only doing it for my son, Jeff. Right. Or I, I hate the wrestling business, but, you know, my partner needs me. It's a rationalization, That's a justification, That's yeah. a minimalization of life. It, it, there is something. And, and, um, I have seen this, I have heard this since I was a a young kid, there's something unique about our industry that, um, whether it sucks you in Conrad, you can attest to this. It's, I I just think it's really, really fascinating because life imitates art and art imitates life. There's just something that John Wayne went and played a cowboy, uh, Bruce Willis or Tom Cruise, you know, it's Hollywood or, or Bill Cosby. And uh, I don't know, I'll date myself. The friends cheers uh, walking dead, any TV show. It's a TV show. Ozark. I love that. I mean, that that's, those guys are playing roles. And then in the sporting world, you know, LeBron James, he steps on the court, Michael Jordan, the best of all, when he stepped on the court game face, ours is sort of this quasi, you live it 24-7, but if you live it 24-7, you're going to get yourself in trouble. It's just kind of a real unique industry mm-hmm. that once it gets in your blood, I, I, I've i seen very few people truly walk away from it. Um, maybe, maybe not make their living at it, but walking away, there's few and far between. Not saying it can't be done, but definitely few and far between.
0: Do you think part of your dad's thought in wrestling is maybe he missed the big money in wrestling? I mean, don't get me wrong. He's probably one of the first millionaires in wrestling, but he made his fortune selling tickets to live events in really, a a, an economically depressed area, but he missed out on all the pay-per-view money that helped Vince sort of go to the next level. Do you think he looked at Vince's fortune and, and what this business had become and thought, what if, do you think he wanted to sort of prove that he could do it to himself or to others or. I guess I'm just struggling with, if you know, you could make $15 million in your real business and your best effort when you were on top of the world before was 1.2, it can't just be strictly business. You're here to have fun and prove a point. Or what do you think of that? It's not about the money.
2: Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I, I think, uh, my dad's always had a real knack of making money. Yeah. And so that hadn't been the, the, the uphill climb. But he's also uh, a guy that's candidly um, family, friends, um, whatever. He had no problem pushing aside. He was going after his passion. And if money was a byproduct of that, I mean, he'd get into uh, horses and go from not owning a horse to I'm going to own nine. He, you know, Morgan horses at one time he had two or three of them. and, And one of them was the grand grand. Grand champion, you know. Once he followed his passion, he went all in, and so you know the 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 BP Shell reimagining line of work that he got into that just I don't say stumbled into it, but one thing led to another. I don't think that was his passion. Yes, make a lot of money. Not sure him uh, reimagining old gas stations into new ones quite had the sizzle of I used to run Memphis TV in WMC Studios and got paid to do that when no other promoter in the country was doing that, that was a rush as a business. And Conrad, you can relate to you know successful business deals. Yeah. But from, you know, like you said, selling out Mid-South Coliseum and Louisville Gardens and Nashville Sports Arena and Evansville and all that, to up and down, up and down, up and down. But like you said, very little toe in the water uh, as far as him steering the ship or being ownership. Now, when he went to Vince in, in the early 90s and then consulted for WCW, It was a a different line of business, a different business model. You know, we came from the weekly, and you'd run the garden in those days. Every three months, uh, every two months, you know, that's that's the big big live event, and then the tours once a year. But everything was built around you know, in in that time, early '90s, as you know, the big four. Uh, So the pay per view money. So you know, as at the time, I didn't consciously think about it, but if you, but when you look back on it, absolutely, Conrad. He he wanted to okay. What's this industry look like now? And you know, fifty um, nine year old man. You, you look at Colonel Sanders, and 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 the list goes on and on about guys that that uber successful into their sixties and seventies. And and he had some uh, buddies uh, here lo- locally that were his his mentors. Uh, that that you know, so so he he was uh, incentivized to okay, let's try something different. The foundation of telling a story. And I've heard this over and over and over, and I believe it more today than I ever have. The foundation of the industry of telling stories and emotional connection has always been there. Sure. Oh, back then it was real. No, it's fake. No, no matter what it is, the foundations of our industry are truly the same today as they always have been. Yes, it's different flavors and social media and digital. And and I know I'm getting off on a tangent here, but yes, he wanted to dive in. Um, and, 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 you know, we, we, once he, I think he knew that, okay, I'm serious about this. in January 6th, it was like, okay, let's talk about this. What's it look like?
0: To be clear, the original idea of 52 pay-per-views did come from the boat trip with Bob Ryder, right? That is where the, the whole concept is.
2: How do we tell weekly episodic stories, Instagram, YouTube, that, that wasn't a thing. So, when TV's not an option, like it's not an option. You know, Ted Turner built his business, Andy Griffith, Atlanta Braves, and professional wrestling. Yeah. That network canceled like game set match with not good, but I think very good. Maybe not great because it had fallen down, but still very good comparatively speaking. I think Thunder was still the top rated show or top five rated show on TBS and nitro on, on TNT So anyway, the television wasn't an option 2002 under any circumstance. Not even, I think you could probably stroke the big check and got on at midnight, but that's about the only time slot you could get.
0: I mean, a lot of people poke fun at this idea. I mean, Eric Bischoff has gone on record as saying, I thought it was the dumbest idea I'd ever heard because apparently he was riding with Lori, uh, somewhere and, your dad called and just sort of soft pitched the idea and, uh, Bischoff shut it down and then looked at Lori afterwards and said, that's one of the worst ideas I've ever heard. And I Mm -hmm. think everybody was sort of of that mindset when they first heard the idea, because it was just different from the norm. You know, it's, we get used to doing things a certain way and that's the way it's done until it's not. And this was a revolutionary concept, you know, for, for years, TV was filled with squash matches, because if you want to see the actual match, you got to come to a live event. And then eventually it changed. And we started to get more main event matches on TV and we would build towards a pay-per-view and, you know, we would take three months to sell that pay-per-view and of course that changed too. And then it became a monthly thing. And these days pay-per-views aren't even really a thing, you know? I mean, certainly they are outside of WWE, but now it's all the big streaming model. So the business has evolved a lot. But TNA was really the first company to say, no, this is where it's going to exist. And as a reminder, just to add context, we're having this conversation in January of 02. A month later, Ring of Honor is going to be born out of necessity. Uh, For years, Rob Feinstein had built his RF video uh, business off of the backs of ECW. He would sell fan cams and monthly subscriptions to people who couldn't get the ECW syndicated show, et cetera, et cetera. And now there's essentially a a, a group of super indie talent and they're going to be running shows and they're hoping to offset the loss of, Hey, we don't have ECW tapes anymore. Now we've got, you know, ring of honor tapes So same great talent that you remember, a lot of new faces, the best of the world, the super Indies, if you will, but it's a subscription service by videotape. So everyone is having to get competitive with their sort of outside of the box thinking, would you agree with that?
2: Oh gosh. Uh, and, and, and to add that layer into it. And what's fascinating is that just sort of how you laid it out. And look, me and Eric are, are not business partners, but we're podcast family members. Sure. Sure. <laughs> so, so I love, it's fascinating to hear that because Eric's the one who pushed the envelope and said, ah, uh-uh, we ain't doing four a year. We're doing 12 a year. That's right. Yeah. So when you say, oh, wait a minute, are you crazy, Eric? You're going to milk this cow. You're going to kill it. Blah, blah, blah. Nope. That didn't happen. What did, uh, Vinnie Mac do? Oh, well, we got to create in your house. So just the evolution. And look, was it a brilliant idea? Oh my God, no. But what were the options? Yeah. One, what was the strategy? Create a business plan, sustainable, and see where it took us. And then sort of when you, uh, again, floating back out of that. So from 93 to 96, I mean, we've talked about my career, but you know, I, I'm, I'm WWF, then WCW, then back to WWF, back to the WCW. So both companies, I tried to dial into pay-per-view. So when you look at the amount of pay-per-view buys done on a monthly basis, on a monthly basis from WWF and WCW, and then boom, March, the pay-per-view companies very quickly, and they will, I'm assuming we're going to get into this, but they were like, hey, Vince's buy rates, matter of fact, Not only did they not go up and WCW fans flocked to. They went down. Down. So you have Coca-Cola buyers or Pepsi buyers. You have Wendy hamburger customers and McDonald hamburger customers, and you have some brand loyalty. Not everybody just jumped and it's well-documented, but the pay-per-view universe of people who would impulse buy was substantial. And so by giving – uh, 9.99 nine ninety nine price point and you know, multiple of that times four. And so that's 40 bucks. And that's roughly what a pay-per-view was during those times. So we're not going to get them every week because, look, we come from weekly territory. And there were lots of folks that came every Monday night but didn't watch it every Saturday morning. They came to watch, quote, unquote, the big stuff. We came to watch the payoff, just what you said, the live event. So creatively, the concept was make it, quote-unquote, not every match pay-per-view worthy, but a pay-per-view worthy event every week that's episodic and you have a blow-off every main event and you have semi-main events and opening matches that build toward the next week. So that's sort of it in a nutshell. Um, But, you know, creatively, that's where we were uh, headed. But the other options, you tell me. Uh, I, I knew that, that you know, McManus's Harlem Globetrotter mindset, which I, I, I really liked, but I also knew that in long term sustainable, because after about two years or three years, they're like, oh, wait, those guys used to be in current storylines that 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 was eventually going to run out.
0: Talk to me a little bit about McManus, you know, I hate to keep circling back to last week, but I can't help, but wonder was all of this instigated from the Andrew McManus situation that we covered last week with Randy Savage. I mean, you know, when it feels like, wait a minute, am I on the team? Who's on the team? Who's running the thing. And your dad even wrote that Andrew didn't know the business. So he's just enamored with the star power of Randy, as opposed to your experience, which he didn't really know about, including that you had been writing TV since you were 18. Uh, was this move to hey i'm going to do my own thing i've seen what to do wrong and and i mean what worked and what didn't and all the talent certainly the germ of the idea is from wwa um but do you agree that perhaps he was just starstruck with uh, with randy
2: i know he was i mean and i think he'd admit that today and i had done as much advising consulting Andrew, this business is unique. It's not Kiss on tour. It's not Bon Jovi. It's not Neil Diamond. It's it's not anything remotely from a creative perspective. You know, so, so, so when you see any artist, Kiss, Bon Jovi, Garth Brooks, when you see them night one, they're going to play their 20 greatest hits. They're probably not going to come back. This is the story, and I remember telling him this. They're not, you know, if you book – uh, he was a big promoter of Kiss. If you book Kiss on a Monday night, any arena in the world, if you advertise them, the following Monday night, you're going to go down. Unless they're, you know, you you have to have current hits. So, so you you've got to have that episodic nature. So it it's not just the, the song or the singer. It, it's the, the storyline. It's it, it, it's 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 a lot of moving parts. So he kept wanting. And and that's what he fell back on, what he knew best, the music business. And and Randy was a megastar and a WWF legend and Slim Jim and everything that goes with it. And I don't want to just harp it on on, on Randy, because that, that really wasn't accurate. Andrew was harping on star power, star power, star power is the solution to everything. And it, you know, I don't think it was then. I don't think it is now.
0: Let's uh let's keep it moving here. And let's do talk about when you talk about this idea, you clearly are, are not only running it past your dad because you just want his counsel. You're hoping that your father would be into it. Do you just straight up ask dad, do you want to go in with me? And how do you guys get to the uncomfortable? Well, is it 50, 50, or what are we doing type conversation?
2: It wasn't any of that uncomfortable. He was like, he was, he was, he was dialed in. He, he was like, okay. And again, he didn't. He didn't come from the, I'll call it the pay-per-view world. Yes, he had worked for for both major companies. But as far as, you know, the production and the ins and the outs and putting it all together, you know, from a creative perspective, he could see where the episodic nature was. We, you know, whether it was an in-demand call or industry call or whatever it may be. It's not like I had to say, hey, will you do this? But I said, what do you think? And if he would have said, I'm out. I would have probably said okay, I get it. he's in construction but he's like yeah what do you think and and as we progressed along I, I do remember and I don't want to jump too far ahead but it was like okay what what is this split We're, we, we've we've got to create legal documents and he didn't even really give it a, a downbeat look and th- th- when I, I'm grateful for this and, and and I think back on it look later it caused a lot of problems like a whole lot of problems um, like estrangement for years, but it was at the time, Hey, this is, you're the young man, you're reading, running the show. Uh, I've got construction doing, I want to support you. I'll be there. Um, you know, in, in hindsight, 2020 father, son probably should never work together, Yeah, but certainly the, 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 son taking the lead, um, in the industry that he had been in at that time, 30, 40 years, Yeah. you know, writing was on the wall from day one, but I had no idea of that. <laughs> and, and I don't really think he knew to, a, to to the biggest extent, but we agreed real early, you know, day one, uh, 65, 35, but it was going to be diluted, you know, with investors and and as time went on and knowing the the business strategy of outsourcing where we didn't have overhead, uh, as little overhead as possible, outsource legal, out, outsource finance. Um, and we'll get into that. But but outsourcing everything. So the original split was sixty-five thirty-five.
0: Your way. Yes. And how did you arrive at sixty-five thirty-five? Did you just arbitrarily pick that out of the air?
2: I think it's uh two-thirds, one third. I have uh you know, I, I no, I, I didn't no. I guess I, what I, I was
0: asking in a roundabout way was was it tied to money? Did you guys both put up what we would call seed money?
2: Oh yeah. No, that, and that was it absolutely was. I mean, that was The, the, you know, uh, I'll put up two thirds again, born and raised and, and certainly my entrepreneurial spirit, nobody, if I don't believe in it, why should anybody else believe in it? That's right. I'm putting my money up and had no problem doing it. Um, look, let's, uh, let's make this work. So that was a mindset, you know, I, I probably gave it some thought one-on-one in my brain, okay, if I do X amount of dollars, he might not think I'm invested. I may not think I'm invested. I, I can't say that I had those conscience thoughts, but, uh, for whatever reason, it was, I'm putting up, uh, r- roughly 600 and change. Wow. Uh, and, and he put up 300 change. I think we got close to the million mark.
0: You know, we're seeing a lot of feedback on the podcast that people have started to come around on Jeff Jarrett, maybe for whatever reason, they just didn't like Jeff. And they saw him on TV, and I get that. Eventually, he wears you down, and he decide, okay, I'll give it a shot. And bam! My World's Your New Favorite Podcast. There's no denying Jeff Jarrett, and there's no denying Blue Chew. It's time to come around, guys. You've heard us talk about Blue Chew until we're blue in the face. And we're doing this because it's really working for our listeners. Folks, just like you are, uh, shall, we, shall we say, turning the volume up at home. And if you're like me, it's been a hell of a year. You probably feel like you've aged like 12 years over the last 12 months, but it's time to turn back the clock in the bedroom. Snap out of it. Spring is here. Get sprung with Blue Chew. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve harder and stronger erections to combat all forms of erectile dysfunction, And BlueChew is an online prescription service, so there's no visits to the doctor, there's no awkward conversation, there's no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. Now, the process is simple. You sign up at BlueChew.com, you'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll get your prescription within a few days. But the best part, it's all online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. And if you don't like swallowing pills, there's no problem here, Bubba. How about this? Blue Chew's Sildenafil and Tadalafil tablets are chewable. And Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, and they prepare and ship direct. So it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if it's faster, it's easier, it's cheaper, why would you do this? If you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform – Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try BlueChew for free when you use our promo code MYWORLD at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. The promo code is MYWORLD to receive your first free month. And we'd like to thank BlueChew for sponsoring the podcast. What are you waiting for? BlueChew.com. And the promo code is MYWORLD. At that point, what did 600 and change represent of your liquidity? Of, how I, I mean, no, well, how, how, yeah,
2: yeah. How, how much of, oh, uh, granted probably, I don't know, six months, but you know, I live lean and mean. uh, I mean, probably gosh, Conrad, probably six to nine months, uh, of, uh, of, uh, you know, paying the bills, something along those lines, cause I knew pay-per-view money slow coming in. I also knew that at that time, now, Andrew, you have to, Andrew was still going to continue to do tours. And, and my original plan was one day a week, you know, uh, uh w- one night a week. So I was going to have quote unquote, the weekends, I'm not saying, you know, work on Monday night, but, but the weekends to uh, supplement my income as well.
0: Well, here's what I was asking. And maybe I asked it in a poor way, but when you said I put in 600 or in some odd, is that you know for lack of a better word jeff Jarrett's life savings yes okay outside
2: of myself so you, you know retirement
0: so you had a retirement and you had the equity in your house but as far as cash on hand you're all yep. in i'm all in and so that makes anybody feel better right from an investment standpoint you don't necessarily well why would i put my money in if you're not putting your own how much are you putting into your own all of it i mean that's kind of that's, that's a powerful it. statement
2: yes and that that is something that i believe into this day it's whether it's a ball team or a business venture or, or whatever, commit. If, if, if you don't commit, uh, you know, I just heard on a tape this morning about commitment. You don't really, you, I won't, I won't get along with it, but anyway, commitment that that that's, that's my point.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about where the next step of your commitment takes you. January 10th is the day you and your father and uh, Bob Ryder meet with Jay Hasman. So Bob Ryder flies in, uh, you know, this is weird to talk about since Bob's no longer with us. I'm not asking in a disparaging way, but did Bob put up any cash? Was he going to have any ownership rights? What was his role going to be here?
2: It, that's a unique, uh, it, yeah, I, I had a conversation with him because he was all, I'm going to do this. And I look, I love Bob. God rest his soul. Um, like all of us, we all have our. Flaws, we all have our idiosyncrasies. We all have our unique personalities, but Bob was all gung ho and he had cash and a single guy. Hey Bob, how much money are you putting up? I could have heard a pin drop. Uh, 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 well, you don't really quite believe him in this idea. I remember fun natured giggity. Yeah. About you know, oh, okay, so now when the rubber meets the road, um, and and you know he started you know always wanting a, a title and position and profit sharing and you know those kind of conversations. And I remember having a conversation with my dad. I'm like, I'm not sure Bob clearly sees this. He said hey, he's just an aggressive business guy. He's going to push, and so that conversation took place early. Bob, you put up nothing, no risk, no reward.
0: Well, it sounds like he's uh, got the employee mindset. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But um, anyway, he somehow finds himself in this meeting with you and your dad and Jay Hassman, before we talk about Jay, why is Bob there?
2: So Bob and Jay through the WCW. Okay. They were buddies. They they, they were, they were big buddies, you know, through the WCW workings and Bob, you know, WCW live and successful and, 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 and gotten in and, 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 you know, navigated his way through, uh, Jay and him were tight. So
0: your dad wrote that Jay Hassman was in the pay-per-view business and he worked for Vander Holyfield, at the time, but he's interested in coming to work for you guys. Can you give us any more backstory on Jay Hasman and why he was important enough for a meeting like this basically before anyone else?
2: It, it was the pay-per-view uh, concept to get in again. How are we going to back to your title? Let's start a wrestling promotion. If we're going to start a wrestling promotion, you have to start with stories. You, you know, yes, you can have talent, but Andrew had talent, but there was no episodic nature and, and you know our industry, whether it's Raw, Smackdown, whatever it is, it's the episodic nature. It's yes, it's talent, but it's really storyline driven. It's the male soap opera, however you want to cachet it. But Jay had uh, obviously lost his WCW business. He was an executive on the WCW side who was no longer in the WCW pay-per-view industry. Uh, he had some different accounts in boxing and uh, he had a partner named Lindsay ball. So they were, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of what their original company was called, but basically a pay-per-view consulting services. I say you go to Hollywood. Now you get an agent, uh, but you also got to get a production company that, that, that is in, in alignment with um, I'll, I'll say approved. Uh, you know, they had um, swinging door, uh, uh, open door relationships with in-demand direct and dish that uh, knew the contracts. So essentially a consulting service uh, for the pay-per-view industry.
0: So let's talk about um, how that meeting goes. I mean, it, he sort of indicated in the book, he being your dad pronouns, pal, that Jay said, Hey, if you get this wrestling thing off the ground, we'd be into it. That's really just because he's trying to look for that lost revenue from wrestling before. Right.
2: He, he and I, we knew, I mean, he, yes, he, he wanted an account, a matter of fact. And, and that's another thing that when you talk about sort of falling in love with this industry, uh, we don't have seasons. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that's I've said it a gazillion times, but you know, we don't have seasons, but, but we're also not that anomaly like in boxing and now MMA, that one big fight, Mm-hmm it's it's oh boy let's hope uh, tyson holyfield go longer than one round but it's the big fight mentality it's that episodic nature and coming off of wcw once a month that is real music to pay-per-view provider uh ears that that you're not going to come down three or four times a year and tyson's fighting twice or whoever it is this is a you know went from a monthly to a weekly yes the price point were lower but it's continuous work and continuous promotion and marketing collateral and current and live programming. You know, it's not a rerun of a movie or on-demand movie or whatever it may be. It, it, it and it's not a concert that comes along through forms. It's event programming consistently.
0: Somewhere along the way, uh, very early on, you have a conversation with Mark Miller, the lead singer of Sawyer Brown, who you sang with for the WWF in uh, 1998 and he supposedly commits to you that in exchange for 10% stake in the company, he'll commit to a million bucks. How does this come to be?
2: That's not accurate. Okay. <laughs> That's uh that, so look, uh, I, I, we may or may not run into a few of these, but, um, or disclosure folks, you know, Conrad had tossed it out there and i said, no, Mark, uh, great businessman, uh, met him in, um, 87, I think Ron and Don Harris. And Mark Miller all went to high school together. Okay. Right. Harris came to work in the Tennessee territory. That's how I met Mark. Uh, Mark uh, with a guy named Bobby Randall, who will come into play later in this, uh, not, not in this episode, but down. Well, maybe. Yeah. Maybe he will come into this episode. But anyway, um, Mark was the front man for Sawyer Brown, but he was also the writer, the businessman, the owner of the band. Uh, His brother, uh, it was a family business. His brother was the business manager, the tours, the merchandise. They were a, uh, you know, a a really successful uh, country music band of the 80s. But Mark, I was always, to this day, very fascinated, uh, admired his entrepreneurial, promotional um, spirit, mindset. And so uh, knowing that music is a big part of our industry... I had the conversation with Mark. Hey, I'm going to start a wrestling, but no, I, I'm going to start a wrestling organization. Um, let's talk about it. And he took the meeting. Me and Mark had done different things. and I That's how I met Toby Keith through Mark Miller. I played a celebrity basketball game. Me and Mark had stayed in contact and I'd gotten him to do a couple of different things. You just referenced, um, uh, you know, when the real double J and I'm calling myself the real double J, but no, I, I sang with him. And that's going to be a fun episode on, on a WWE at WWF pay-per-view at the time. But anyway, I went to Mark for music. That's the long and short of it. Music for TNA entertainment.
0: So there was no discussion of him investing any cash.
2: No. So the the next part of that discussion though, not only music was, um, Mark, um, was uh, again, always savvy on how he ran his business. And, um, I asked him about, uh, legal representation in forming a business. Um, and that was the, that was a part of that conversation. And he, uh, connected me with his business attorney that was based out West, but they had an office here in Nashville and they later became, uh, uh, legal partners. So I leaned on Mark for legal in music.
0: Let's talk a little bit about, um, the original idea because I didn't know until I read the book again, which I read back in Oh four. Uh, but I just saw that the original idea that you had was not a Wednesday show, but a Tuesday show. And in fact, the name was Tuesday night attitude. Is that right?
2: It's accurate. No, uh, unknown facts, so to speak.
0: So uh, t- talk to me a little bit about uh, a lot here, I guess, but specifically why Tuesday night.
2: Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, you talk about y'all yeah, steal your line. There is an awful lot to unpack here. Oh yeah night attitude and why Tuesday and why did it change to Wednesday? Well, Tuesday night is a uh, very lucrative night in, in the television world, in the entertainment world. Monday hasn't always been so much, but Monday night football, obviously now Monday night raw. Uh, but Tuesday was a big pay-per-view night. Uh, you would watch a boxing event uh, on, on a Saturday. Sunday is Sunday, Monday's a big news day. Watch the replay tomorrow night on, on pay-per-view. So replays in pay-per-view world were big. Um, uh, Just a lucrative night TV, you know, uh, through the years, Tuesdays and Thursdays have been big block nights. So um, there was a bunch of peripheral, uh, I'll I'll say, um, uh, compliments or, 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 or supporting decisions, but probably at the very top of that list was getting out of the gate. How are we going to advertise to a captured audience? And the the pay-per-view industry, you know, it's a, it's a unique world. It may, you know, I'll I'll use our uh, neck of the woods or or whatever, you know, pay-per-view buys in New York city could be great. You know, go up a couple hundred miles and Albany, New York could be terrible. I'm just giving a hypothetical. You know, Chicago could be a great pay-per-view market and Milwaukee could be terrible, terrible. So figuring out and, and you know, WCW, it's, it's in those days, you could look at it very, very almost simplistic. The Midwest and the Southeast were WCW territories. The East Coast and the West Coast were WWE product or WWF product at the time. So us figuring out what markets and what strongholds we're going to have. Okay. Okay. That wasn't going to be the biggest challenge because we knew the to use the Coke and the Pepsi analogies. Coca-Cola was East Coast and West Coast. Pepsi was Southeast and Midwest. Okay, so we're going to come out of the gate looking look at that. But how do we advertise to a captured audience? Buy local ads in Monday Night Raw. Nitro went away. So the wrestling audience is sitting around their TV every Monday night. This still exists to this day. You go buy a Monday Night Raw ad in 2021 on a local market. They're astronomical because the the data is there, the demos there. You know, I'm sure AEW's is, is getting into that. You know, the AOL time warner uh, Warner Media is is figuring that now too. If you want to hit a certain demo. So anyway, we knew we could capture the wrestling audience on Monday nights and say, bye tomorrow night, bye tomorrow night, bye tomorrow night.
0: So we can't talk about the name and not address it's not just Tuesday night attitude. It's TNA. Sure. And a lot of people, unfairly, I think, probably point the finger and you can point, you know, sort of set the record straight. That's not a Russo thing. That's a Jeff Jarrett thing, TNA.
2: It was, I mean, me and Vince obviously had the conversation. I, I'm sure JB, Disco, I mean, they're probably going to have been multiples, but me and Vince probably had the most extensive conversations. And again, you know, the conversation going back to what me and my father, I was ready, willing and able to shoulder the load. You know, look uh, again, I'd come off of WCW and WWF and, and, and the single biggest deciding factor, in my opinion on the success or failure of a wrestling company is you got to have the buck stop with someone. So the buck stopped with me. So you can point fingers at, Vince Russo or Jerry Jarrett or a a number of folks over the years. If the buck stops with you, you're ultimately. So, yes, it it, it was me. And, you know, if you pull out some different things that happened uh, through the Attitude Era, I'll say, Conrad, you know, oh, you can't do that on USA Network. You can't do that on TNT. You can't do that on TBS, but you can do it on pay-per-view. So, a pay-per-view only company, I, we we were still going with the mindset of you got to give them, in Pat Patterson's words, a little something extra. So the double entendre with no commercials—that was another thing. You know, at those times, Raw was going from a two and a half minute commercial break or a three and a half minute. You know, they they continued to fatten the commercial breaks and cram as. You know this very well, Conrad. getting as many commercial, uh, you know, as you can. So it being a uh, no, you know, two-hour commercial-free on pay-per-view, um, and and using the double entendre, So the total non-stop action was the commercial-free and uh, the the the, uh, um, the 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 other version of hits an ass. Uh, you know, uh, the other version of TNA w- was just that.
0: So I guess the idea is, you know, that, and I guess we should add the context of this. This is very much the girls gone wild era of America. So, oh. you know, they had the late night ads. Hey, you want to see this 19 year old show or boobies send twenty nine ninety five to so-and-so, and we'll send you a DVD. Uh, and as silly as it was, it made tens or maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. And it's also a big pay-per-view business where scantily clad, bikini clad girls are doing this or that. And for whatever reason, well, not for whatever reason, we know why it's moving the needle, but this is on the heels of the hot attitude era where there was a lot of that too. And for whatever reason, WCW standard and practice standards and practices wouldn't allow some of that behavior. And a lot of people say that's why Vince won the war. I think we'll agree to disagree on that, but
2: still. Vince it, won the war, won the war because Vince is Vince. Yes. It, it the, the, you can point fingers at a thousand different things. Yeah, ask, oh, He's the boss and there wasn't one in WCW period.
0: All right. Time out. You know, we love our sponsors here on the show and we'd like to welcome a new one, Adam and Eve and check this out free stuff. How do you beat free stuff? Free stuff is awesome. Free stuff to spice up your bedroom is even better. You can select almost any item for 50% off. And then Adam and Eve will load you up on the free stuff. All you've got to do is enter Jeff at checkout and you'll get 10, that's right, 10 tantalizing free gifts. Sexy item for him, a special gift for her, and a third item they tell us you'll both enjoy. Plus six free spicy movies Let's check this out. Six movies, something for him, something for her, a third item. You're both going to like, and up to 50% off almost any item. How do you beat this? What about free shipping? That's right. You heard me all these free prizes. And it's all because you selected almost any one item for 50% off at adamandeve.com. Hurry to adamandeve.com and enter Jeff. That's J E F F. Almost said double F. That's J-E-F-F. The offer code is Jeff. You enter that promo code at adamandeve.com at checkout, and boom, you're hooked up. So get all these free gifts and 50% off on almost any one item over at adamandeve.com. That's adamandeve.com. And at checkout, use promo code J-E-F-F. You know what to do. Come on, adamandeve.com. So you felt like you needed... Some edgy, risque adult content. So, having A, the word attitude in there, B, pushing that it's the night after all, tomorrow night, tomorrow night, tomorrow night on those localized ads, you could have the double entendre, so to speak TNA and Tuesday
2: night attitude. And when you're looking across the desk at the pay per view industry, it's one of those, and Conrad, I'm sure you've been in this kind of business meetings. When they tell you their highest grossing performance pay per views, and you get outside of the sports entertainment. It's adult sporting world. What'd you say? It's adult. It's, it, it, and it's sort of, I can remember going, holy. I mean, I was like, that's the first time I've really wrapped my head around true numbers. It, it nothing is even a close second, including wrestling. I mean, including boxing, the adult in, in, entertainment industry. In those days, I don't know about anything now, but in those days, by far their biggest grossing. Yeah, I mean,
0: when everybody didn't have whatever they wanted in their fingertips, on their phone, in their, their pocket, top. uh, hotels did really, 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 really well, uh, yeah. just by having those. And, and the pay-per-view companies did too. So
2: I understand it's, it. Uh, another hotel business has driven off, uh, uh you know, the, 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 the back in those days, you know, the, the remote control and. The, the bar yep. that, that, that was the hotel. It wasn't about service. It wasn't about Johnny and the family can come and play on a playground outside.
0: Let's sell want- some drinks. Let's sell some appetizers. And when we get yep. them good and drunk and they're trying to fall asleep, they'll click something on that remote and we'll get them again. Bingo. We'll get them coming and going. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about another association that you feel strongly about that I read about in the book. You wanted to explore celebrities to take part in the show, like Dale Earnhardt jr, the Sadler brothers, Sterling Marlin. There's lots of different, um, NASCAR drivers that you think you could sort of hit your wagon to why did you feel like that was a perfect crossover thing? And why did you think you could make it happen?
2: Wow. There is a lot to unpack here, but going with the mindset that the majority of our business is going to come from the Southeast and the Midwest, that's country music and NASCAR and me from a very personal, and I've told this story, uh, through the years, you know, when I would go to a a Preds game, uh, NHL hockey, I would go to NBA basketball, do appearances. I'd go to NFL games, um, whatever kind of event out in public, two things, it was always to a whole different level. If I went to a country music venue or if I went to a NASCAR race, the, the, the crossover is astronomical, comparatively speaking. Um, I would met Hermie Sadler in Las Vegas uh, through a WWF event in the mid-90s. Uh, They brought a simulator, him and Elliot brought a simulator to the arena one time. Anyway, me and Hermie hit it off from day one. Been one of my best friends ever since. We go way, way back. So, um, and and again, I I knew the different, you know, that's who I'd met met a lot of drivers. Now, again, in 2001, 2000, 1999, NASCAR then, as it is today, it's it's apples to oranges. No, nothing. It was just a. It was you talk about the golden age because it had a group of established. Daryl Walter, Dale Earnhardt. You know, I, I don't want to get too in the weeds, but some real rock star celebrities uh, of drivers. But then they had this new crop. The ratings on Fox were through the roof. So, um, putting in my promoter mind cap and watching Vince with Mike Tyson, and I mean we could go all the way down the list of. WrestleMania's, Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, Muhammad Ali. I mean, just you know, Vince is the master at that, of maximizing someone else's audience and bringing them to the event, you know, bringing him to the wrestling events. Vince has a lot of things that he doesn't have a peer in. He, this is one of them that, that I've always been fascinated and really studied through the years. Like, man, he has this guy here. And look, he doesn't hit it about a thousand. Nobody does. But maximizing other folks' audiences and bring him and capitalizing and monetizing that. So that being said, I said, okay, we've got to come out of the gate. We've got to, who's big? And so country music and NASCAR were two areas that I had personal relationships on, but from a business mindset, uh, I, I wanted to bring to the table.
0: The associations with celebrities that work the best, in my opinion... Were the ones with athletes who were going to compete in the ring, whether it was Carl Malone or Rodman or Lawrence Taylor, or even Mike Tyson, even though Mike didn't work a match, you knew, Hey, Mike's going to fight somebody. He's going to hit somebody. He's a, he's a boxer a on the planet. What <laughs> was there? What's the thinking with a NASCAR driver? He, one of these guys is going to drive a getaway car for somebody, or, I mean, I know that sounds silly, but I'm saying nobody's ever thought that Jeff Gordon's going to come in here and beat everybody's ass. Like that's not a thing.
2: Engagement. And Hermie agreed to wrestle. He wow. Wrestled. Yeah. Yeah. I okay. Mean, and, 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 you know, Her- Hermie was a cut driver. He might not have been Dale, uh, Earnhardt, but, but had a name, but Yeah. Also- um, you know, create the storyline and, and you can advertise NASCAR's Hermes Sadler yeah. is wrestling. Yeah. That's a big deal. That's the headline.
0: Okay. I get it now. I'll quit busting your balls on that. You also have some early meetings with talent that sort of shocked me oh, that I ri-
2: read, uh, Conrad Jesus batter up dude. No, I'm kidding. Uh, sting. <laughs> you. Go ahead.
0: Stings in the conversation. I didn't know that. Uh, but it's in the book that sting is uh, supposedly saying that you guys should talk to his attorney and the attorney basically tells your dad, whoever puts the money in escrow can use his name, sort of insinuating that sting is negotiating with other folks. And your dad wrote that sting's attorney was essentially asking for sting to be signed before the pay-per-view deal was landed, which obviously can't happen for financial reasons. What was your take on sting? Was he ever real
2: sting? Is a great poker player, proverbial uh, cards close to the vest, and in those days, and I'm not, uh, I'm trying not to paint a broad stroke, but I knew dealing with talent, and I knew the pulse of the talent. Obviously, I just come from both companies, or or, a working enough idea, and with no, if you weren't on the WWE roster, then either you were going there or wanting to go there or it was obviously talent dependent, like a Steiner, like, Oh, is he going to go back to Japan or what does he want to do? Or what's this guy going to do? But with Sting, he knew, he, you know, I'll, I'll say this Sting was a guy uh, and we traveled some in the WCW days. And, and again, you know, Thanksgiving day. And I've told this story, uh, 1985, him and Jill, Hel- Jim Hellweg come walking up, knock on the door on Thanksgiving day of 1985. That's how far back me and Sting go. Uh, so, but, but, you know, staying the, the icon, but truly, you know, the flagship guy of, quote unquote, the brand that we're not chasing. But, you know, we, we were going for the WCW audience. There's no doubt about that. We, we You know, obviously, we wanted to create our own, but we wanted to be the alternative, not number two. And I was always really, really tried to hammer that into folks' brain that worked for us. We don't want to be number two. We are that by default. We want to be the alternative. Mm. Uh and Sting was always that alternative mm. mega star uh to to Vince's, you know, he's the Yang to Vince's Yin. Scott
0: Steiner is the other big player that's written about in your dad's book. He says, quote, It also seems that Scott Steiner, Jeff's supposedly best friend, is playing hard to get. I feel sorry for Jeff because I know the heartache that he's going through. I experienced the same situations 25 years ago with wrestlers when I first started my wrestling company. So Jeff, that's how your dad felt. How did you feel about the Steiner stuff? Did you think you had a chance to land him here in O two?
2: And I'm sorry. I talked over you. Can you read that again? Cause I, I, I like the word supposedly best friend, but, but you read that again. I talked over you.
0: It also seems that Scott Steiner Jeff's supposedly best friend is also playing hard to get. I feel sorry for Jeff because I know the heartache he's going through. I experienced the same situations 25 years ago with wrestlers when I first started my wrestling company. So that's how your dad felt. How did you feel about Scotty?
2: Look, me and Scott, uh, literally hit it off. Very first time we met in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, he, you know, he's been one of my best friends, uh, through the, all the trips, trials and tribulations and like all relationships we have, I didn't really think that um, he was playing hard to get. I thought, like a lot of folks thought, Jeff, you're crazy. This is never going to come off. Um, I don't think you can do it. I don't have confidence in you. Um, Hey, we can be buds, but I ain't working for you either. You know, I mean, let's just get the ego on the table. I don't want to go work for Jeff. Um, You know, whatever it may be. But I think it. I knew at the very – well, I didn't think. I know I knew at the very top of that list was he wanted to go to WWE and, and he got paid through the end of his contract and now that it expired or, or whatever it was, but he was free. And also by this time, and I don't want to get into dates and all that, but the newness of, of, of Vince buying WCW had certainly, you know, we're nine months, 10 months in and he had done some of the, you know, just, just the, the WWE tours and, and, and all, all that Scott was looking, where is his next step in his career? And yeah. I knew.
0: And you felt like he was holding out for the Vince check. Yes. Uh, how important and crucial, And uh, how about this for a name is, uh, Ron Harris during this process for you. And what can you tell us about his brother, Don?
2: So Ron and Don, again, they came, uh, to, to Tennessee in the late 80s, uh, you know, six, seven twins that played college basketball. Uh, you know, no secret, I'm a basketball junkie. So we had played basketball. We had rode together. They had gone out and worked for Don, uh, um, Don Owen in Oregon. Uh, but when they were in between wrestling jobs, uh, you know, they had become Eli and Jacob Blue, and then they'd gone to the WCW for a hiccup. And, you know, they had had their ups and downs they'd always had stayed outside of Oregon. They had been Nashville based, not because of the wrestling industry, but because of Mark Miller. Again, they went to high school with Mark Miller and they had done a little bit of everything in the music industry. And that goes from business management to merchandise, to touring, to operations, just a little bit of everything, you know, um, through the years. And so, um, They uh, had a skill set, and Ronnie specifically, I'm trying to think, Donnie at this time was in Florida with his then current wife uh, and kids. So he was down in Florida. Ronnie was the the twin living in Nashville, um, who I knew had, uh, I'll I'll say, uh, some general arena production skills.
0: Your dad thought a lot of Ron. He wrote, you know, when, when it feels like at one point, sort of the, uh, the wolves come out, he would ask you, Hey, think of how your, your buddy, Ron has handled you during all of this in terms of this has been a guy who hasn't come to you with his hand out, and instead asking, Hey, Jeff, how can I help? Uh, he thinks a lot of Ron, is that fair to say?
2: Yeah. He, and what was through the years and, and Ronnie and Donnie, if, if they ever listen to this, they'll get a chuckle. I was always. I always used to call Ronnie aloof, which really was a more of a term that a little bit more of a, a a business mindset. And Donnie was my buddy, so my dad was naturally drawn for whatever reason to, to Ron and me, and Don were, were buds. But yeah, he, he he um I mean, yeah, he he um and look, it all ebbs and flows. Uh, at times, they probably didn't get along, but but probably in, in this time frame, uh, him and Ron were aligned.
0: Let's talk about, uh, McManus. He wrote something. He being your dad pronouns, pal. Like if our pay-per-view meetings in LA are successful, Andrew won't be able to get enough name talent to run another pay-per-view. But since he screwed Jeff over regarding Savage McManus quote unquote, has it coming. Did you at any point feel like you were for lack of a better word, double crossing McManus with this new company. What was your contractual relationship with WWE or Andrew?
2: Never had a contract with him, all handshake deal and was never like, I think there's a difference between angry and bitter. Yeah. I was never bitter at Andrew. I I, I was a little agitated and probably a little angry, like Andrew, I get it. And, And I, I get, you got these relationships around the globe. But you don't get it. I'm trying to really teach you, but you're going to go your own separate way. But I also knew, in sort of a, um, and I think this is one of the the the, I don't, I'm not sure I'd be be careful to call it one of my skill sets. But but I I I'm, I I'm, I'm I like to think I'm a big thinker and do think long term. You do. Uh, and so Andrew's promotional skill set was why can't we work together? We'll do the episodic weeklies. Man, wouldn't it be nice? Again, I'm I'm born and raised on, if you don't work, you don't get paid. So how can we create three or four shows, five or six shows, so at some point work together? Because I truly believed at the time, I knew Andrew's uh, plan wasn't going to be long-term sustainable without episodic nature storytelling.
0: Well, I want to mention this because it feels like when it's time for the February pay-per-view as we fast forward, well, maybe we won't, I I won't jump around, (laughs) I I, want to, I want to keep it on track because your dad, after saying, you know, he has it coming just a few days later in his journal, he writes that you spoke with Andrew in Vegas and he's going to fly into Nashville to meet with you and you guys all agree you need to work together to compete with Vince is this a, a, an about face from your dad's standpoint? Cause it feels weird to say, uh, we'll sign all the talent and he won't be able to run another pay-per-view, but he's got it coming. And then a few days later, Hey, maybe we'll work together. Is this dad sort of acquiescing for you? Or did he really have an, a, an unfair opinion formed of McManus because of what you had told him about the savage thing.
2: You, you got to know my dad and, and maybe that's for another time on another podcast. But, um, I mean, he, Flip like a, flip like a burger. No, no doubt. I mean, but what's the big deal? Um, he's agitated on, on the one hand about, and, and being agitated at Andrew was about Andrew, what you know, we, we're not going to tell you how to promote music. So don't tell us how to promote wrestling. Yeah. He was that mindset. And again, my dad's the senior statesman, uh, of, you know, he's 59 years old at this point and Andrew, you're just not listening. So, Hey bud. Let's work together. Cause I I remember, and and I think Jeremy was a part of some of these conversations with my dad because my dad, Jeremy always got along, but it's like, and I can hear JB say, Hey Jerry, listen, Andrew may not know everything, but he's got a hell of a track record in promoting music. So there is something here to uh, utilize.
0: I want to ask about that because the Nashville meeting does happen. McManus does come to town and that meeting's attended by you and your dad, of course, Bob Ryder, Jeremy Borash, and Andrew McManus. And your dad wrote in this meeting, he felt like you and him weren't exactly on the same page and he expressed explicitly. He just wanted to be in the pay-per-view business, but he got the vibe from this meeting that you wanted marketing for in television, et cetera. You had a bigger vision for the company. Is that the way you remember it all the way back in February of 2
2: That what did my father say? I want to make sure I'm understanding your question
0: he, he said that there was a disagreement that you and he weren't exactly on the same page. Maybe he didn't use the word disagreement. Yeah. He wants to just be in the pay-per-view business. You're interested in licensing deals, foreign television. Yeah. You know, and, uh, a, a lot more than just, Hey dad, why don't we run 52 shows a year? The tone of this meeting goes a hundred other different directions is, is the insinuation in your dad's book.
2: Yeah, no, and and Andrew, again, uh, being a piece of the puzzle that, you know, uh, some very fascinating stories, and I learned several from uh, the Goldsmiths over the years out of the UK, other legendary promoters, you know, lots of money in merchandise, lots of money in licensing, um, you know, coming off of of, of WWF and WCW runs and the quarterly checks and the royalties and Coliseum Home Video, you know, just the the real uh weekly episodic pay-per-view. That was really, I don't want to call it a lost leader, but certainly in in the first year or two business plan, it absolutely, you know, I, I'm not going to say a complete lost leader. We were going into it, but the the money was going to be eventually in running a full-blown wrestling organization with licensing, you know, from the video games uh, to, to action figures, all, all of that, the stuff that I just experienced with both companies. And I, you know, I remember at WCW and me telling my dad a, a story a, a, a around this, that um cricket wireless paid me like, I don't know, 40 grand to shoot three commercials. And because they were advertising already on uh, <laughs> thunder and nitro. So, so, you know, just the, the, that type of uh sponsorship and advertising and licensing and global touring. I knew there was, A lot of money to be made uh, if if we kept a big vision and started small. If dreams of vacations and enjoying the fun of life are turning back into a reality for you, don't let concerns over financial setbacks keep you from saying yes. Credit Karma helps keep your financial goals in check, so you won't have to hit pause on a good time ahead. Starting something new can be nerve wracking. Wouldn't you like to know beforehand whether it was going to work out or not? Credit Karma can give you more confidence before you make a decision. The beginning of any journey can feel daunting. You're not sure you're heading in the right direction, and maybe you don't know exactly what to prepare for. With Credit Karma, you can be more informed about what's ahead. Credit Karma's game-changing technology shows you tailored offers for credit cards and personal loans that you're more likely to be approved for, so you can apply with more confidence. They use your credit and other financial information to show you custom recommendations. Whether you want cash back, travel rewards, or to consolidate debt, Credit Karma can help you find the offers that fit your goals. With a selection of options and approval odds, you have the power to make informed decisions. Credit Karma, apply with confidence. Go to creditkarma.com podcast to learn more and find offers tailored just for you. That's creditkarma.com slash podcast or you can see your offers on the credit karma app apply with confidence today. Go to credit slash podcast or the credit karma app.
0: Let's, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to pick a sore spot, but is when did you start to first realize, Hey, me and my dad might not have the exact same vision for this. Did you know all the way back in February?
2: I I knew from day one, you know, I'm not saying that I sat down and thought about it, but I mean, we didn't see eye to eye, but nobody sees completely eye to eye in in this industry. I mean, you sit down with a guy to lay out a match and, and many times, um, you know, I mean, you know, and I've was taught this from Jerry Lawler and others, you know, I think, oh, I've got a hell of a match laid out here in my mind. And then you walk up. And you go start to go over the match and then it really gets completely tossed out the window and you go a different direction. And that's an even better match. Not that my match was bad. It's just, there's better ways to do it. And so, you know, I, I knew me and my father were not going to see eye to eye on everything from the very beginning.
0: Let's talk a little bit about uh, Borash here. What was Borash's role at this point? He's in the meeting. And obviously he was familiar with McManus and he's your big pal, especially during the summer. And no worries. What was Borash's contribution here to this particular meeting?
2: From the day I met JB, he has always been much more than, you know, day one. It was a WCW live host. Yeah. Uh, But he had a way of talking to talent. So there's a skill set to, Hey, JB, you go down the hall. Nitro is just over. Grab these three pieces of talent. Bob Ryder didn't go. Jeremy went. You know, Jeremy could deal with talent. And then I think Jeremy actually sat in on some WCW booking meetings. And so Jeremy has always had a stick to itness and a creative mind. And uh at times he needs to be a chameleon, he'll be a chameleon. At other times, hey man, I've got an idea. What do you think? Uh I love JB's parents. And when you meet both of them, um you get it. Is, without question, he is a product of them because um, Jeremy ha- has a real calming sense, but creative sense. Um, and that's one of the reasons he also doesn't mind. You know, my grandmother used to get so aggravated at folks that, oh, that's not my job. Oh, that's not my yeah. job. Oh, that's not my job. That rubbed her the wrong way. And yeah. I got to witness that as a young kid. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That does make a lot of sense. So Jeremy never mind and starting a company, a guy who could wear multiple hats. Uh, that was JB.
0: What was Ryder's contribution to the mating? Oh
2: boy. Um, I don't recall anything like jumping off the page. Um,
0: that's great. Let's keep going. Huh? Let's just keep, we'll keep going. I I want to circle back to a banker meeting you lined up for you and your dad with what he described in his book as Jeff's friend, Robin, you guys are shopping for a bank loan here and I'm just guessing it's not explicitly explained right away. The kind of loan you're looking for is one against accounts receivable. Since there's a a big lag on pay-per-view payouts. The idea being, we know we've sold this many pay-per-views because we have the buy rate but we're not going to get our money for several months. So Mr. Banker, you can, yeah. you can hold all this cash for us when it comes in, but just advance it to us and we'll pay you interest to get it early. Right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the meeting with Robin wound up being her attempt to get your dad's construction business, but even if she was able to get that biz, it's going to limit Robin, his yeah,
2: Robin, just a Robin childhood friend, went okay. to kindergarten all the way up through, uh, Law school. Then he was my financial, uh, advisor. Okay. Yeah.
0: So he wants the, your dad's uh, line of credit or his construction uh, business. And, um, if he sort of mixes both, it's going to limit the amount of money that your dad can use for his construction business. Uh, we should also, I guess, take a time out here to say your dad's trying to scale this gas station thing bigger than ever. So he's worried that he may not have enough cash and Robin effectively wants your dad to sort of personally guarantee two and a half million dollars. And your dad thinks that's going to hinder my construction business for several months. So he wrote in his book that he was hopeful that McManus, while he was in Nashville, he could convince him to be the guarantor on that loan. Was that ever your plan to see if McManus could get that line of credit for y'all?
2: No. Uh, and, and I remember, man, that's really getting the weeds. I, I, I remember The construction business going from two or three crews to like 20 crews because the conversations I have with my little brother, he's however old, 24, 25, 26 years old, and he's running multiple crews. But they grew quickly, but they had to work in the pipeline, but but mixing wrestling financials with BP Shell because BP Shell, you know, it's a global conglomerate. They wanted to make sure their business, you know, that they, they, they were in my father's banking business to a deep level, and it just wasn't gonna mix. And then as far as McManus goes, we and I say we, me and my father, I had no idea what Andrew really wanted to do as far as working with us. I think he I knew he had his vision, we were frustrated, he wanted to go his do his thing, we were gonna do our thing, but then the day it was one going to be sort of one big pot of talent, so to speak. So I probably rightly or wrongly. So knew at some point he'll come around to, 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 to this, you know, he didn't have quote unquote, I don't say he didn't have relationships, but other than writing guys checks, he couldn't write hope to any of them. I'm just going to do this. Um, You know, and, and we were drawing good houses for Andrew, but I, I knew, that, that, that the engine of a promotion was going to be the episodic. So I, I think it probably at this stage, uh, and, and I'm really going on recall, uh, just off the top of my head, um, there was definitely probably some hope that he would want to get financially involved, but I don't think it was like, a, a deal breaker either way.
0: Your dad wrote that Andrew wasn't sure if his partner would sign and up until now, we haven't talked about Andrew's partner. What, if anything, do you know about Andrew's partner?
2: He had a, and that was something that I thought was pretty fascinating on how he operated. He had a lot of partners. He had a partner who funded WWA, not not hundred percent, but he had a partner in Australia that that release funds uh, monthly. Uh, if I, I would say, or or, or it's certain staggered, um, he was a promoter. Um, but he also had partners in the UK that partnered with him on those tours. So he had uh, promotional partners all over the globe. So I'm not exactly, And this, my father names a name. I'm not sure what partner you're talking about.
0: No, he didn't. Okay. The, the next day you, uh, it's written that you came to your dad and you were concerned with Andrew's quote unquote honor. Were you still feeling a little bit, I don't know, as we say in the South snake bit from the whole savage situation.
2: I was, I was concerned about Andrew's honor.
0: Honor—that's honor. what she used in the book.
2: Cornbread language. I didn't actually believe what he was saying. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to think if that's that, that's uh, again. I don't have the printed word in front of me, but yes, I, I. Going back to the 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 some on some at some point in the UK end of uh, 2011 tours, I could just see some things weren't lining up.
0: You mean with- two thousand one?
2: Yeah, my bad. Yeah, yeah. two thousand one. Um, but but yes, and then the Vegas situation. Uh, j- just yeah, I knew Andrew had had big eyes, uh, big plans, but he had no foundation in the wrestling business.
0: Well, when you come to your dad and and question his quote unquote honor, uh, your dad starts telling a story about dealing with snakes and that sometimes you have to deal with a snake. But in this case, you guys have a hatchet and you know, where Andrew's head is. And your dad is for forging ahead because you know, it's okay to deal with snakes as long as you know how to get rid of a snake. Three days after this meeting with McManus, your dad writes that he decided against doing business with him. Just two days after he told you, sometimes you have to deal with snakes. He's changed his mind. And in this book, he cites the reason as being his wife, Deborah had a bad feeling about Andrew, essentially the exact same thing you were concerned about concerned her, but where he dismissed your concerns as someone who had worked with Andrew for months, he listened to her gut after a single meeting. And to me, this reads like a father son scenario that has to be hurtful in business. And again, I'm not trying to pick a sore spot, but this is one of those deals where man, it's going to be tough to do business with my dad because this is father son stuff 101, is it not? Uh,
2: I use my newly found catchphrase 100%.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, as this is formulating this uh, TNA concept, Kevin Sullivan has been tasked with trying to uh, write creative for a new outfit that's trying to get off the ground down in Florida with Jimmy Hart and Brian Knobs and Greg Valentine. Of course, we know this is the failed XWF experiment. Anyway, Kevin comes to your dad for advice and your dad has decided perhaps the XWF's 77 year old investor, Walter Franks could be a resource for you guys. Did you ever talk about that with your dad? How real do you think that could have been that you could have perhaps just jumped in where the XWF was, uh, maybe falling short.
2: I, wow. That is a name that I have not that's jogging my memory, Walter Franks. But I remember the old guy. And and you may know, I just, him and my father and Kevin, God almighty, the devil. They had conversations. That's funny. Um, but Penzer was a buddy of mine, still a buddy of mine. Oh, now ad-free family. But, but yeah. I remember having some different conversations. And it was pretty clear because Knobs was involved. But but they had their vision and they were going their way. Rightly or wrongly, but that was Cause I remember Lord, I was at that time, I had a pickup truck sitting in my truck in my driveway and had the conversation with Penzer. and Penzer just made it real clear. Uh, we're doing this. Good luck to you guys. They were very confident in their plan. You know, I didn't talk to, I don't, I may have had a conversation with Kevin Sullivan, but I had a real lengthy conversation with Penzer. and they were very confident in where they were going and their money and their financials. And what they were going to do and how they were going to run it. And they had an office already opened up and, and, and I was, that's a head scratcher, but you know, they, they already had quote unquote, they were already fully operational.
0: Your, uh, your dad wrote the cost of the first show was budgeted at $800,000. Does that number ring a bell?
2: TNA a show.
0: The very first TNA show that you guys had laid out and the initial budget was going to be 800 grand.
2: No. Where where would we spend 800 grand? I, and I
0: <laughs> I asked because he wrote that he was advised um that getting an investor and essentially giving up equity is foolish because the initial show is really the only money at risk because after that all that's needed is a line of credit secured against the pay-per-view, you know, revenue receivables. So really the only money that you could sort of be pushing all in and lose is the cost of that first show. If it's just a total flop. But if it's not, there's money coming right behind it, but he budgets, or he wrote in the book, the budget was 800 grand. Now I'm not saying that's what it wound up being for the first show, but that was at least the preliminary idea. We'll call it February, March. That seems high to you.
2: Wait, like double that. that, that, I mean, it, it could have been 400 like 800 for the month.
0: Let's keep that, it rolling here. Um, I, I, you that's, know, high. that's high. Well, we're, we're talking about a lot of money and or I didn't even ask this earlier, but you talked about, man, I'm going all in. I'm putting outside of my retirement and my house. This is all my cash. What's, what's your wife, Jill saying about all this?
2: We touched on last week. Um, never got into the financial business. Uh, of, of the family, the relationship, it was, you know, what, what's the, Oh, I don't even want to call it. So, you know, I, I, I was in charge of making money, uh, say show, so to speak.
0: Your, uh, your dad's uh, wife, Deborah, your stepmom, she was privy to everything he was doing though. Right.
2: You know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. He, I, I never got in that. Uh, you know, I, I, I would say, I don't know. That's a good question. Conrad. He wrote in his book that,
0: uh, you, you guys took a vacation to Mexico right in the middle of all this, you and the wife and the family. So you, you know, the girls and he wrote what a terrible time this is for you to be going. The idea being like, how in the middle of all this, could you go on this vacation? But he explained in the book that you felt like it would cause problems with Jill. If you had to go back and cancel something like this, that y'all had planned on for a long time. And he made it a point to say, and it's because Jill is not involved in the family finances, whereas his wife Deborah is, and ah. Deborah, and Deborah couldn't tell you how many vacations they had canceled because business happened. Ah. but then fast forward a few weeks and uh, when it looks like his BP station uh, business is hitting the skids and he's laying everyone off and your pay-per-view deals in jeopardy and you don't have any talent, he went to his beach house. And, uh, went on vacation and I couldn't help, but think, all right, well, Jeff doesn't own a place in Mexico that I know of. So it was a prepaid vacation. He kind of had to go.
2: and and booked uh, six months prior
0: versus we have a beach house. We can go to whenever we want, but he takes you to task for going on vacation, but I've just got to get away. Yep. Uh, It's. It's an interesting dynamic. This father, son thing do, as yeah. I say, not as I do type deal. There you go. In fairness. And, and I want to take a time out there. I'm not picking on Jerry. That's the way all dads are like, that's <laughs> just being a dad, you know? Yeah. Um, let's talk about somebody else. Your dad has JJ Dylan working in his construction company after WCW closes. And he wrote in his book that he sought his counsel on this whole wrestling idea. But you weren't too keen on JJ dating back to your 10 years with WCW. What was the heat with you and JJ?
2: You know, as quote unquote, one of the boys and look, first time I met JJ was at WWF in 93 or actually 92 when we flew up there. So him and my father were always, um, look, JJ was Kamala's manager. Yeah. So so that that, you know, to give the full context. Through my eyes, through my lens, through my brain was first time I ever laid eyes on J.J. Dillon. He was sending interviews up every week, being the manager of the Ugandan giant Sugar Bear Harris Kamala. (laughs) So fast forward to um, and, and again going coming from the territory to you know WWF and and having a a single person who ran talent relations, not the Booker. You know that that was that was that was. He's the heat man, obviously, as we know now, that's what that job's for. Uh, boy, did I find out later, Jim Ross. you know, whoever has that job is the heat guy that was new. So, so from the very beginning and traveling in here in Shawn Michaels or Kevin Nash, or, you know, even Savage, you know, okay. JJ Dillon, JJ Dillon, JJ Dillon, you know, not really painted in a pretty light, but then um, WCW, he had gone down there and you sort of start to hear the different stories and J.J.'s behind the four horsemen back in the day, but then he became office. You know, J.J. had heat on him, period. Um, but when I saw the relationship between him and my father, and, you know, it's already been well-documented, me and my dad and, and had been estranged and ups and downs and all that, I didn't really trust J.J. And I can't put my finger on any one reason, but I also know that that. I believe in my negotiations with Bill Bush uh and WCW just two years before, I, I'm not sure JJ look, JJ was I, I get it. He was holding on to his job. But I think he told my dad one story and then me another story as it negotiating the deal. And he was obviously loyal to Bill Bush, but wasn't really transparent or uh completely honest with my dad because of that relationship. And then JJ was out without a job. And next thing, you know, I'm hearing Jason, I'm hearing the stories of who's this JJ Dillon guy. He don't know what in the hell he's doing about construction, but he's got the power to do this and the power to do that. So he rubbed Jason wrong. He had rubbed me wrong, but he was an ass kisser to an old man. I just didn't have a good vibe about it. Very professional, very cordial with him always to this day. Uh, and look, I use JJ Dylan, you know, w- whenever, but, but that was the relationship.
0: Your dad wrote about, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, John Kocoran and Bob Freeman.
2: Who are these Cor- fellows? John Corcoran, uh, John Corcoran and Bob Freeman. I'm uh, that's not ringing a bell. Is that a financial guy? Corcoran was a, uh, so John Corcoran, Boston based uh, investment banker. Uh, that had dabbled in potentially he's the, the, the investor that right before nine 11, when me and my father and Savage went up and had the meeting to talk about potentially, uh, getting into the rest of the business, but, uh, a long time friend of my father, who's in investment banking.
0: Boy, we just glossed over that. We mentioned it, you know, maybe we need to do a sidebar about that. Your trip to the Northeast with Randy Savage, because.
2: The week before nine 11 and the meeting was at the Marriott. Across the street from the Twin Towers.
0: How did you get Savage to make the trip up? What did Savage think his role was going to be?
2: Uh, equity and, and and obviously star power and booking and whatever it may be. And, and you know he, he was a partner in it all.
0: And John didn't go for it, and that was the end.
2: That that meeting never really again. Nine nine eleven happened a week later. Yeah, the world changed. It, it it's not like any finger pointing or anything like that. You know, uh, I, I saw a comment online about the, the WBA, uh, our travel and what was it like to travel right after 9-11? You know, we, we glossed through a lot and, and I know we're getting granular today, but man, there was it was such an interesting time in so many different ways in my life. Um, but but that travel right after 9-11, but going up there the week before. And anyway, so we sidebarred, but the, the, that didn't work out. So fast forward up to Corcoran, Uh, in this, he was another guy that potentially wanted to get in the wrestling industry. Let's go talk to him.
0: Let's, uh, let's mention two names. You are familiar with your dad said he met with JJ and Jim Barnett for lunch. And he learned here at this lunch that Ted Turner was not happy with what Vince said on the very last nitro episode. And as a result, Ted's interested in getting back into the wrestling business. And I got to tell you, man, a sentence that has Jerry Jarrett, JJ Dillon and Jim Barnett talking about Ted Turner reads like it's from 10 years prior when you first hear from your dad, Hey, I had lunch with Barnett. He thinks Turner might be into it. After that first conversation, what'd you think of a potential Turner opportunity,
2: Uh, a, a total long shot, but, but there's some things over the years that, that I've sort of learned about my father. You go, Oh, there ain't no way. That happened. Well, you hear this guy say it and this guy, you know, Bill Dundee used to tell of a story. My dad came back from booking the Atlanta territory who was in the control room. This is pre-TBS days. This is early 80s, Ted Turner. So, you know, um, those three guys, uh, It's not. it wasn't completely out of the realm uh, for, for them to have a conversation with, with Turner, you know, especially Barnett's history. JJ Dillon's history in the industry. So who knows, um, the ugliness with the uh, billionaire Ted skits and, and Vince kicking his ass and just all, all of that weaving in and out. It didn't shock me by any means, but again, I'm of the mindset, you know, the, 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 the formation of a wrestling company is coming together. We've got a lot of moving parts, licensing, business, international, McManus talent. Uh, you know, I I know we got to run shows and book an agent and the music and, and we got to raise capital and all that. So I don't, you know, I don't recall me, you know, like slamming the brakes on saying, oh my God, you met with Ted Turner. It was wow. Okay. Or going to have a conversation with Ted or whatever it was.
0: So let's talk about, uh, another name that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about on the show so far, the series. Jim Barnett, you, you told us your experience with JJ. Did you have any experience with Barnett at this point?
2: So <laughs> again, um, this is not a sidebar. You ask a question about Barnett as it relates to this. The first time I met Jim Barnett was at the Dallas sportatorium on a Saturday morning and Crockett and Barnett had come back. And we're watching the monitor and I forget who was in the ring and said something. And I, I don't know exactly what the conversation was, but I literally finished watching the segment, went up in the crow's nest at the sportatorium, came back down, whatever the Saturday morning TV got going. And we were headed back to, to, to Memphis or, or maybe I was headed back to my apartment, whatever it was. But then my dad, and I'm trying to think who would have been riding with me, but anyway, he was like, That was Jim Barnett in the dressing room. I'm like, where was he? Well, he's just, you just talked to him for 20 minutes. And you know, I don't do a good Jim Barnett impersonation, but I'd had a conversation with Barnett and didn't realize it was Jim Barnett. Now going back in time and hearing the stories coming up uh, multiple times and Jerry Lawler can do a good Jim Barnett impersonation. Everybody can do some kind of Barnett impersonation, but you know, my dad had worked for Barnett and spoke very highly. And, you know, Barnett had run Australia and, you know, just Frank Morell, who I rode with or any Bill Dundee or Dutch Mantell or rock and roll, anybody, everybody knew the name Jim Barnett. I'd never met him. That was the first time I met him. Um, so that was the only real time that I'd have a conversation with him. And, and they had come by to talk about a number of things, but they had actually, that was in 1990, about me potentially going to WCW, and my di- my dad shot it down. That's a little. Uh, that's a, one of those what ifs, Conrad. What if I had gone to WCW in ninety? Right. No double J character. Right. Probably not.
0: Well, let's talk about what a small world it is. Uh, in your in your dad's book, he wrote that the guy he bought a farm from when he first moved to Hendersonville now had a son producing TV in L.A. Andrew Baird. Yep, and uh, you guys meet with Andrew and then hook him up with Keith Mitchell to talk about production trucks, edit suites, equipment, etc. And your dad wrote that Andrew thought you guys could just rent all that stuff and do the production in house as opposed to hiring Scene Three. Can you break all that down for us? Who is Scene Three, and what sort of cost savings could this represent? And what can you tell us about
2: Andrew? Yeah. So Andrew is a, a guy lives in the community in Hendersonville, but him and my father were partners. Uh, you know, Andrew Barry and Jerry Jarrett were uh, quote unquote <laughs> pillars of the Hendersonville community date back to the seventies. Uh, but Andrew had gone off to LA and come back uh, and was a um, uh, upstart television producer. But scene three was a company that again, Mark Miller, you know, when he goes out on tour, Um, They were a a production company that designed sets. Uh, Matter of fact, that's how I met Greg Horn. Greg Horn did all of scenic and TNA. He's now the scenic guy for AEW. So it was, again, one of those pieces of the puzzle, Conrad, that's kind of fascinating that Greg Horn took a job because I hired scene three and it radically changed his life. He's been in the wrestling business ever since. Greg's from South Africa. But but he was our original set designer. But Scene Three uh, was an Arena production. Uh, They also did edits and stuff like that. But we we were we were going to go in a different direction pretty much out of the gate. But I met with uh, Mark Ball, who owns Scene Three, and they were the we'll call it the Arena production scenic. Uh, Again, another piece of the puzzle that didn't have scenic at Memphis TV. That you know my bad. That wasn't his skill set. But uh, Scene Three. Uh, was arena production.
0: Hey, man, let me smarten you up on something that I learned, I guess, what, last year? Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. I learned this the hard way. But here's a pro tip for you. RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody. Oh, and they're reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than charging prices based on what the market will bear, like an airline. RockAuto.com is for everybody. They don't require a membership or an account login. They want to save you some cash. And this is really proven out for me and my family. I think I mentioned this a while back. I got my dad his dream Corvette, an old classic, way back when, uh, but I got it for him on his 60th birthday a few years ago. Well, those cars occasionally are going to need parts. We couldn't find anything locally. You know who could hook us up? RockAuto.com. You see, rockauto.com is where I went for my family because rockauto.com is a family business and they've been serving auto parts customers online for more than 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for all of your auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They literally have something for everybody. We're talking stuff from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps, hell, motor oil, even carpet. That's right, carpet for your car. Now, this is not just for old classics. This is for your daily driver too. You can get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your front door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. So easy, even JR could do it. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specs, and prices you prefer. Now, best of all, prices at rockauto.com, once again, reliably low all the time. And more importantly for me, they're the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why in the world would you spend up to twice as much for the same doggone parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And please write my world in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. This is critically important. If you want to save cash, go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. But don't forget to write my world. And they're hiding you here about us box to let them know that J E double F J A double U you know the deal. Let them know we sent you, and we thank RockAuto.com for sponsoring today's podcast. So one of the things you and I talked about off air last week when you were in Huntsville, uh, and I don't really have a spot for it here in the notes, so I'll just bring it up now. You told me, you know, Vince brought everything in house. I wanted to outsource everything third party, everything, our PR, our, our video production, et cetera, et cetera. Instead of hiring these people, assuming that liability, needing to give them full-time work and benefits, et cetera, et cetera. I'll just outsource it all. Is that the plan?
2: Yes. When I, you know, uh, WCW's numbers, uh, I think in one of their last years, they made uh, 105 million, but spent 110. And, you know, you start adding up talent and all that. But, you know, the overhead of any organization can get astronomical. My father learned this from my grandmother as well. You know, they used to say, Jimmy Crockett, what was his overhead? Basically his shirt because he ran his business out of his shirt pocket. That's right. You know, uh, 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 so that uh, those kind of things always sort of carried with me. My father never had a wrestling office. He was in the house. That's where I would see gas come over and pick up checks or programs or Whatever it is, always run out of the house, low overhead, low overhead, low overhead. And so that stuck with me and seeing Titan Towers in those days. Wow. What overhead? Cause in there there's travel and this and that it's a fortune. And hearing the conversations, you know, in, in 91, when Vince was going through the trials and tribulations, he still had big overhead, but slashed overhead WCW had those offices and this and that and then all those employees and all that. So a startup company that was essentially going to be running one day a week, I knew real quick nobody's full time except a few guys. And and you know it was the the business plan from the beginning was nobody almost outside of maybe three four five guys. JB. Bob Ryder, I, I could probably, you know, Ron Harris, maybe go on four, four or five. Nobody was, was full-time. Everybody was outsourced. And that was the, the, that was a, that was a real pillar of the business plan. So
0: your dad lists all these different bankers in the book and potential investors, including a Japanese investor uh, is the toughest part of starting this company sort of lining up these lines of credit and backup capital necessary to do so.
2: It was, uh, now that was new to me too. When I think back, divine intervention, luck. I mean, Vince will tell you to this day, he's the luckiest man in the world. I, I think he may have had some luck over the years, but he's brilliant as well. But, you know, and, and talking to different folks. But now, as I sit here today, Conrad, in 2021, thinking back to 2002, the luck that came in, because I, I, I was a young guy, I, the financial component of, of financing things. And, you know, that's your industry. Now the numbers and all that, I mean, there was a a, a tremendous amount of luck involved in, in figuring all that out. But I remember thinking to myself and you see where I'm going with this coming off the relationship with McManus, although he had deep pockets and multiple folks with deep pockets, they weren't necessarily going to be the right partners. That's right. that, and that that stuck with me. Um, you know, my grandmother running small spot shows and my grandfather, Eddie Marlin, on the other side of the family, him running small spot shows. You, you can have a Kiwanis club or a quarterback club or whatever it may be when you come in and you co-promote with, with community organizations. If you have the wrong promoter, you can have a full house and lose money. I, I have seen that. You know, So so having making money you know, it isn't the end all be all it's managing it, spending it. So I was always uber aggressive. How can we find the right partner, financial partner?
0: So, uh, you know, I sort of glossed over him a minute ago. I just casually threw out the name, Keith Mitchell, chat me up about him, your relationship with him and how he got on board.
2: You know, when you look back, as the, today, and, and I'll get into the TNA, but when you look back at probably one of the most powerful men in all of professional wrestling that very few casual fans know, and even some folks that are in this industry. And if you've worked for the WWE for the last 20, 30 years, you don't even know who Keith is. But Keith Mitchell, you know, Kevin Dunn is a guy that everybody's well aware of in Vince's work. Keith Mitchell's been the Kevin Dunn for Fritz Fein Eric in the eighties and WCW in the nineties and TNA through that run. And he held on to that TNA for, for until he was ready to let it go. And now he's that for AEW, but, you know, call him the executive producer, but Keith is television operations from the trucks to crewing to uh, pulling the pieces together for lighting and the lighting package. You know, he's not a lighting director, but, but Keith's experience on um, basically, television production. And that's what pay-per-view was. Now he, he didn't know how to run a satellite, but he knew the satellite companies to run and, and, and had a team around him. And again, at WCW, it went from the last nitro and what talent is going to go work for Vince. Nobody in production thought, Hey man, I may be on Raw next week, or I'm going to let my contract roll out. No, those guys all went in different directions at Atlanta Braves, Atlanta Hawks, fishing, hunting shows, Tried to stay in the television industry. Keith was a guy that knew the industry, um, that was a huge piece of the puzzle uh, as as far as launching this company. And, you know, I can remember many times, I'll call it WCW, folks that were main eventers that didn't even know Keith's name. Literally didn't even know who your executive producer's name was, or, 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 or let alone the importance of him. Um, but again, um, it's, it's, it's the nature of the beast that TV, if things go great, you don't hear about them. Oh, that was a great shot. And it was, Oh man, the punches look so good. What a great match and great false finishes and the timing. If it's bad, Oh, everything's TV's wrong. Everybody's, Oh, what the hell is TV? What's production doing? It's easy to point fingers, just like it is bad creative. bad creative. It's bad creative. It's a great match. All those talent are great. It's just the nature of the business and peeling back the layers and, and Keith Mitchell was, uh, the, the go-to, uh, my go-to rephrase that my go-to guy of all things production.
0: We're going to talk about Keith a lot in the coming weeks here. Um, tell us about Derek and Bonnie from team services.
2: Eric. Now, Bonnie Worth, uh, Bonnie Worth is a pay-per-view marketing company. Think about Jay Hossman and Lindsay Ball. They're the nuts and bolts of the contracts and the servicings of the contracts and getting the financials and getting the reports and, and that type. Uh, Bonnie Worth and Team Services had worked with Vincent Linda, um, all kinds of things, uh, uh, marketing. Um, they, they were, we'll call it a pay-per-view marketing company.
0: So the WWA show in Las Vegas happens as we discussed last week. And well, it was not good. Your dad wrote that you not going would reflect poorly on you guys. New venture with the pay-per-view companies and the way that's phrased, Jeff, it almost feels like it was at least considered even briefly. Maybe, you know, show, did you consider no showing that Vegas show? Why would he phrase it that way?
2: That's him. Never. Uh, okay. I, I just never.
0: So your dad was pretty critical of your match at that show saying quote, I'm sure the event will hurt our first event. When someone considers buying our first event, the memory of this event will be a real negative. What say you, did you think about that? Or is that again, just a dad being critical of, you know, just being a dad.
2: It's Jared Jarrett being critical one. Um, he, there's some merit that you don't want to leave a, a, a bad taste in any wrestling fans mouth. It, when they've paid money to see an event, um, the A- Andrew McManus, Jerry Jarrett relationship obviously had, had soured, uh, for whatever reason. Um, he just, and the, the whole savage, he just didn't like anything about the event. Uh, you know, th- there was nothing good. My dad is either all in or all out. And I don't recall him having anything good to say about that event.
0: Your dad mentions in the book, talking to both Mick Foley and Sean Waltman, uh, Mick tells your dad that he has a non-compete until December of two and Waltman is under contract until April Were you and your dad just sort of putting out general feelers, or did you have some sort of wish list between the two of you?
2: He was putting out his feelers and I was doing the same and, and others that, that I had in contact. Look, we were, who's available, who wants to be a part of this, who believes in it, you know, it's, it's it's, it's, you know, that's like a booking agent who's out there available and who can we sell tickets with and, and who are we going to go after? And, and, you know, Sean, uh, has always had a relationship, uh, with my father dating back to him being a part of the creative team and one, two, three kid and razor and, and, you know, 93, 94. And then of course, Mick came to the territory in 88 and, and my dad had a stack full of photos and not to divert or. Uh, Sidebar here, but I I remember sitting in a chair in my dad's office as a you know, maybe in the business a year, and my dad walked over and said, Look at this good looking guy. I remember I always felt uncomfortable about like, why is he calling this guy good looking? Can't you just say he looks badass or rough or looks like a great talent? My dad would always say, Look at this good looking guy. I'm like, Okay, dad, he's good looking. But it was it was a uh, cactus Jack Manson. Wow. Well. That's, yeah, my dad. It was a eight by ten black and white photo with a VHS tape that mixed it down. And my dad would always go through the tapes that he got and look at them and sit them. And he had the VCR that he would always pop tapes in and watch from time to time and different things. Yeah, I, I saw. Sort of, that's one of the things when I look back on now that, you know, I don't deal with VCR tapes now, but I I will catch myself going through Instagram, um, uh, whatever form of social media, and if I see a guy on there. In his post, if he's tagged another wrestler, I'll go to that and look at that. And if there's any action, I'll watch 10 or 15, 20 seconds of it just to see. And I think I've picked that up over the years with my dad because that's what he did. But but he always had an eye for talent and scouted it. And he'll tell you this day and me too. You don't always bat a thousand, but you miss every shot you don't take. And you miss every talent that you never look at. (laughs) You just do. And and so – Back to Mick and, and and Sean, my dad had a personal relationship with both those guys.
0: He's also got relationships with Charles Young and Ed Spurlock, two other guys helping you chase down money. Did you have a relationship with them or any significance to their story?
2: Charles Young is my dad's lifelong accountant. Um, a, a college kid by the name of Kurt Myers, who's now my lifelong accountant. Charles was his uh, accountant, and that's that they came from the, the accounting firm.
0: Spurlock Ed Spurlock. Does that name ring a bell.
2: He's a financial guy in the middle Tennessee area that doesn't jump off the page, but, but yeah, I think he owned a lot of land, uh, in middle Tennessee as well.
0: So we're looking for potential investors anywhere we can find them. And just when you think it's all a secret, Vince McMahon makes a play after leaving Hermie Sadler high and dry the prior year, according to your dad's book, now the WWF is offering him 150 grand for every race, of sponsorship money. And this has to be because he's gotten wind of your NASCAR play, right?
2: So that is a whole nother podcast, but, but Hermie Sadler and the rock were going in business together. I see. And that went South and Hermie had spent, this is a whole nother podcast for other story, but almost a million bucks Conrad. It on makes this money. new rock venture. On this Dwayne Johnson, Hermie Sadler racing. I see. Uh, that that and and Hermie, so Hermie invested a lot of money, and then that went south overnight because Dwayne didn't own the rock at that time. Yeah. <laughs> so that went south. And then that all went away, and there were some really hard feelings. Um, and then coincidentally or or maybe not so much coincidentally uh, this resurfaced and now they're going to figure out a way to do business, but it never panned out. But, but yes, it resurfaced a year later
0: on March 1st. Your dad wrote that the pay-per-view companies have now locked you into Wednesday nights. Again, the show is named Tuesday night attitude. So how, and who came up with total nonstop action.
2: That was a pivot off of, we love TNA, the double entendre, and I say we. I'm not going to throw people in the uh, uh, in my bucket unless you uh, willingly. But, I, you know, that that's what's everybody, I'll say it by lots of folks, hated on that name, but I didn't hear anybody come say, oh, Jeff, that's going to put you out of business. Uh, it was, again, context coming off the attitude area. We were strictly a pay-per-view only. We could get away with more stuff. So we were going to have girls dancing in cages. We were going to have push the envelope, not go over the line, go right up to the line. Uh, I was never, ever engaged in just total. Of course, that, that's a subjective uh, descriptor, but, you know, not just being gratuitous to be gratuitous. I learned that through blood. You know, you can be gratuitous. Abdullah the Butcher was gratuitous with blood. Jerry Lawler was never gratuitous with blood, ever. But he got it, and so you know the old red makes green and all that silly stuff. But I, I was born and raised on don't be gratuitous with with anything. So, so going back to Tuesday night attitudes, Tuesday went away. Pay per view companies were not enamored with that. That was a big replay night. That was a a big movie night. They wanted us on Wednesdays. I wasn't opposed to that. It sort of sit in the middle of the week. That. Uh, yeah, okay, maybe it works a little better. Again, my eternal optimism, bring talent in on Wednesday. They can go work uh, independent because independent, and we'll get into this in different podcasts, independent wrestling in 2002, 2003, 2004, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about AJ Styles and we'll talk about different talent, but independent wrestling in 02, 03, 04 is radically different today. But in those days, okay, so if we can bring talent in on a Wednesday, then they can go work, their own schedule Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So then all of a sudden you think, okay, they're going to be, you know, getting a little name value off us and hopefully the rate will go up. And and I knew it would to some degree that you're actively in storylines. Uh, so pay-per-view companies, again, wanted us to go to Wednesday nights and, and we were headed in that direction.
0: So this is something that in demand or more than just in demand
2: wanted. In demand. Okay. In demand is the one who, Again, for, for folks uh, that are not completely uh, in the know, so satellite companies, direct TV, and dish, and and they're their own, that um, they're all in house. In demand is a clearinghouse or a quasi go between, and some folks uh, have Comcast or now Xfinity or Charter or Spectrum or or Cox. Cox was real big out west, so there's a bunch of different mom and pop cable operators across the country but they had one pay-per-view distributor provider so in demand had relationships with every cable industry so they were all the cable operators if you wanted pay-per-view content you went through in paying in demand handled the signals the contract the collection uh you know and and distribution of, of 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 money
0: so here's where the rubber meets the road, March fifth. You, your father, and Jay Haspin meet in Los Angeles for what is supposed to be dotting of the I's and crossing of the T's. And I think Jay even described it to you guys as a quote unquote group hug. But it's not that at all. An hour before the meeting, Jay tells you that hey, these guys are, are nervous about you know the letters T and A. They really don't want any sort of risque programming. They want more traditional WCW storylines. He tells you this an hour ahead of time, according to your dad's book. And your dad says that is not what you had in your presentation, but you're here all the way in LA. So your dad starts pitching from the seat of his pants. And then they ask, well, if a fan purchased a pay-per-view with the letters T and a in there, won't they be upset? There's no adult content. And your dad immediately describes burning a hole through Jay Hasman in the meeting with his eyes and realizes this has been a massive fumble by Jay, but he continues the pitch and eventually they ask something like, how can you keep folks buying 52 weeks per year, which almost indicates to your dad, Hey, we thought we had a done deal, but if they're not sold on how we're going to do it 52 weeks in a year, they're anything but sold. And then they lower the big boom. We want 600 grand in cash up front in order to do a deal. And your dad shuts it down saying that's an unreasonable ask. You guys are risking all the money, meaning you and your dad. And they're essentially asking for what your dad referred to as guaranteed profits. That's the way your dad describes this meeting.
2: Is he pretty on the mark from the way you remember? I remember not the decision makers in the room within demand, lots of confusion, and also that when, and, and I don't know if this is just a specific conversation with Vince, but I was always, and, and, it, and it rolled off the tongue, TNA Wrestling, TNA Wrestling. You can look at any piece of branding from the very first J Sports and Entertainment. By the way, J Sports and Entertainment was the company me and my dad formed. Uh, that, that was the entity, J Sports and Entertainment. But when we started putting together the very first marketing collateral or business documents, it was always TNA Wrestling. And I can remember Bob Ryder and myself having the conversation when you put it in the guide, how many characters did, did you have? Well, will count up TNA Wrestling. I think you had like, I don't know, 20, 30, whatever the number was. TNA Wrestling always fit in any, th- th- you would never say TNA without wrestling. And I can remember, I don't know if it was in this specific meeting, but I would say, why would you ever leave it with just TNA? People don't know what TNA, even if it's a yeah. smut or if it's a, what, what, Yeah, you don't just say that ever. Yeah. And, and, and so that as it relates to the guarantee and I don't know if that was a Bob deal Bob Ryder deal or what it was, but I'm like, they're playing, trying to play hardball. They want to milk our pockets But they want this money and back to my banker, uh, friends telling me they don't want any risk, but what the hell is their risk right now? They only have Vince as content. So that was, it was what it was.
0: Your dad's furious with Jay after the meeting. Is this the first time you questioned Jay?
2: Yes. Yes.
0: He talks about afterwards, you guys went to a, what you thought was a sushi restaurant and you were told, no, you can't get sushi here. You have to sit at the bar. Sorry. So your dad orders a salad. You go to the bar, order sushi to go, bring it back and eat it at the table. And the servers are pissed off and your dad's just ready to go home. He's tired of this.
2: <laughs> he wants to get back to Tennessee. I don't remember that. No.
0: Uh, eventually Jay follows up that a contract is coming from in demand. And this time you'll only have to put up a hundred K. and your dad wrote that you guys didn't like that deal, but didn't really feel like you had any other options. So you get a hold of your insurance agent and bonding agent And you do a $300,000 bond and your dad writes in the book. And I kind of agree with him, a $300,000 bond against a $52 million a year operation seems a little silly to me then. And now What say you,
2: I, I I literally thought it was corporate folks trying to cover their ass because in demand was going through tough times because the shell shock of no longer having WCW revenue. Yeah. just got to look at, at the, the, the bigger picture. And this was explained to me from a couple of different folks, somebody at team services. Um, man, I wish I could recall that guy's name, but, but them sort of the pay-per-view industry went from being super healthy to overnight, you know, it went from a, a March pay-per-view like, so it's one thing for AOL time Warner to, to pull programming. And they just put an episode of Andy Griffith. In, in, in place of Nitro and Thunder, or whatever the content, a rerun. The pay-per-view industry was blindsided, and they were laying folks off and had a lot of shelf space to advertise things because all the episodics that were going into promoting WCW events were there. They were uh, people were losing their jobs. They were job scared. They wanted okay, yeah, let's get it. Let's get a guarantee that's going to pay the. The, the in-demand salary, you know, they were they were doing the money grab, big time. But Hosman was not at all transparent. And that that was the first chink. I didn't want to see it. I'll admit it. I want to see it. I think a lot of folks that do this, you only see what you want to see uh, over the last four years. Man, is that rung true. But I didn't want to see the chinks in Hosman's armor, but that was the first really major one because we went from – yes, they want us. They love it. They love the idea. They love the concept. Oh, but we, got to put up money for it. What? We're a startup, you know? So then the bonding and my insurance guy, that was a whole mess. But, but, but at the end of the day, it wasn't cash off the bottom line on the startup.
0: Let's talk about Vince for a minute. He's uh, on the heels of a big standoff with Directv. He gets them from a 50% split to a 60% split in his favor And he had a reputation for being a tough negotiator with the pay-per-view companies. He's always trying to carve out his own deals. And one of those deals was what was called the WWF fanatics programming that started in 2000. It's essentially a WWF home video style release, but in pay-per-view format, every Wednesday night on in demand. And once in demand meets you guys, they can't wait to stick it to Vince for once and tell him that his Wednesday WWF pay-per-view is canceled and Vince is supposedly furious about this poking the bear, so to speak. I mean, you don't really have all your ducks in a row yet and already it feels like you're trying to encroach on Vince's
2: territory. And I wanted no part of that Yeah, I, I, because it was so upside. But what, what I do remember is, and I think this goes back to a team services call, cause I was again, from the marketing of a pay-per-view that was not completely new, but it was new territory for me, but I can remember like having the conversation. And them saying, no, Vince, not only does he despise in-demand, he doesn't think they're needed, mm. wants to go directly to each individual pay-per-view company and cut his own deal. So Vince had the mindset, even back then, he was he was headed toward his own network, even in those days. You know, Vince is a business guy. And I can remember thinking, okay, that does make sense. What is the value in demand's really bringing, except being the middleman? Right. You can cut out the middleman, do it. And so that was his mindset. And I remember him pushing on the direct TV conversation and dish. I can remember thinking to myself, let Vince be the hill. I'll be the baby face. <laughs> Cause he was sticking it to them. And rightly so he had all the leverage yeah. and it was very obvious. And he didn't mind telling everyone that, but he did have the leverage.
0: Well, that news leaks and the story of a new promotion is now in the torch. Did your flow, did your phone blow up when Wade published
2: that? It had already really begin to circulate and calls of. They ran the gamut. Are you really doing this or why are you doing this? Oh, Hey man, keep me in mind. I mean, just you name it, all kinds of phone calls.
0: But it makes the torch though. Does it start to feel real? It's out there now wrestling fans. Know.
2: It was real to me it really I, again at the growing up conrad in the business it's like I, i've never I, i've never really like hung on oh it's real now No, right. it's real if you say it's real if you believe it's real if you think it's real but it's also not real until you run your first show it's all talk it's you know how many shows of of in, in the, the uh, formative years in the territories and, and you're going to run spot shows and then all of a sudden, Nope, they don't want to do it. We got to move the day. You know, it's not real till it's actually real.
0: Talk to me about Deborah Wagnon. Am I saying that right? The legal lady that you have to have a deal with. And uh, I think the deal's put together with an equity position, break down who she was and how your arrangement with her came to be.
2: So Mark Miller's uh, legal contact. Sawyer Brown. Uh, West Coast, East Coast, but West Coast. I'm trying to think of what her parent uh, firm was called. But Deborah was Nashville-based, uh, out on Eighth Avenue. But sh- she was the attorney um, that that had the Nashville office. And so again, the mindset of outsourcing went to her. Um, sort of laid out the plan. We probably had three um, three different sessions of. Of Deborah, I'm going to come meet with you. I'm going to lay out some different things, and and it was at her suggestion. And then come back maybe a week later. uh, Yeah, maybe she'd been running up the bill, but she wanted to wrap her head around. She wanted to talk to her partners, and they really wanted to do an analysis on how many hours it was going to take. um, You know, for startup and then operational, and then moving forward. And by the, I'll call it in the second, in the third meeting, probably went back third for her to present the what they thought was there was a lot of front-loaded work um, and then IP that was going to come along, that was going to continue to be uh, created. And then the ongoing negotiations of, of select, you know, main event talent that, that may have more bandwidth. Um, there was going to be little to no uh, legal hourly rate for, I'll call it underneath or, or you know, uh, preliminary talent. So, they had done their analysis, and they were the legal firm, and again, outsourcing and trying to hold on all the capital. The mindset was, I want to spend as much of the money as we have on making the show great, and everybody else come along for the line. And so that's where we we met at a negotiation and say, you're going to get equity of J Sports um, for, for doing the legal. And they were elated to do it. Again, a context on WCW went away. Yeah. We're a 10th as successful, you know, th- there, there's a lot and, and a quote unquote, little old wrestling organization at a Nashville as a startup. They dug in, they're a big high powered law firm and in, in the entertainment business.
0: But as with all things, it starts to feel like it might fall apart before you get going <laughs> on March 16th, your dad wrote that he completed writing of the first show. Uh, but then he shared it with, uh, you and you shared it with Russo and Russo shared his ideas back with you. So now effectively we had three guys opinions on this first show and you and Russo wanted to start the first show with you in a hot angle, whereas your dad was more old school and that he thought main event talent is never featured in preliminary segments. Is that the gist of the disagreement? Really? It's about the flow of the show. He wants the show to build to a climax and never have top guys on early. Try not to outsmart the audience, basically the old school way. And well, pretty much nothing like Russo was known for. Am I close?
2: I don't want to just completely rain on my co-hosts mindset. Remember, I just came from nitro. Yeah. And the shows were written the day of. Yeah. How much do you think I gave a rat's ass on a show written in March and we were going in first week of June?
0: Well, buddy, the next day, your dad quit. He sent an email to you and he, you woke up to it on March 17th. He does this on the way to his beach house that we talked about earlier. You get the email and immediately call him, but it's paragraph after paragraph about how your vision and his vision creatively aren't going to work. And he basically is saying, he's not sure he can work with Russo. And he's digging his heels in now before long in the very early days of TNA, right now we're sort of in the formative stages. Your dad comes around on Russo and we're going to get there, but at least at first he doesn't like that you guys have sort of been critical of his first draft, or at least that's the gist of the email he sent you. Do you remember the email and the call where he's basically saying, I'm not sure if I want to be a part of it.
2: I knew there was unrest, but you know, you're talking about, we've talked about all all, far, all fair that you're going to say things that jog my memory. Yeah. I, I can remember specifically going, we're a ways away. We don't even have the talent locked in and we're what writing you, shows. Yeah. Well, I mean, what are you doing? And yes, that may be the fun part to you that, that we're way premature to that. So maybe there was me being pacifying and then all of a sudden, he hits, you know, the guardrail. And I'm trying to say, now, wait a minute, let's talk through this. And you're my financial partner. And you're also my dad, but why are we getting wrapped around the axle? And I knew that the Russo was a lightning ride. And, you know, there was a, my dad being Southern and Vince being in New York. There was already all in water.
0: So you just wanted to keep the train on the track and you talked your dad off the ledge that day, right? For sure. So the original start date for this show was June 5th but because of the Mike Tyson, Lennox Lewis fight on in demand, they couldn't guarantee the promotional time. So they bring it up that it should be June 19th and it looks like Toby Keith and some of the NASCAR drivers were already committed to June 5th. Eventually though you get those dates cleared and Toby Keith can still do the 19th, but when it felt like, Hey, in order to make in demand happy, we may not have some of our first big quote unquote celebrities or big names available. Is that disaster? Would you have rather waited to July or were you more focused on let's make in-demand happy?
2: It was how many balls are there? How many can I keep juggling? Uh, that was a a, a lot of my mindset in those early months and even years. Um, can't please everybody. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day in, in demand was they're like the network at the time, they, they weren't TBS or TNT or USA network, but they were the network. And so you sort of had to go in there their their line of thinking, and you're not going to again. You know Tyson being engaged that weekend, all of the not not ninety percent, a hundred percent, because again, In Demand makes their money off their ten yeah. percent of every buy. They're not going to market Vince, and they're not going to market a startup wrestling company. They're not even going to market their their movies any releases. They're marketing Tyson because ten percent of. Fifty bucks at the time, or whatever that price point was, was a hell of a lot more than a thirty-nine or a twenty-nine or a nine ninety-nine. So, in demand was the priority of, of pleasing.
0: So, let's talk about Toby Keith. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about him. What was his role going to be? Uh, talent, investor, friend of the show. What was your relationship with Toby Keith here? And we'll call it March of '02.
2: So, as, you know gosh, uh, I could really get uh, T- Toby's a special human being in in so many different ways. I met him like I said earlier playing a celebrity uh, pickup basketball game um, which was a lot of fun but but just remaining friends. And then um, you got to remember 9/11 an angry American um, uh, was just he just had wrote it uh at the end of 2001 going in 2002 and when he went out on tour 2002 look it had never been played on the radio i'm getting chills right now it was a brand new song and and we drove up to evansville me and ron harris and they were talking about it and this song and he goes just listen to the people when we get to this point in the song jeff i, I want you, you know and ron and and, and listen to them it's a story about, you know, American, uh, you know, the angry American and when you hear the words of it, but he said, listen to the people roar. And it's, it's again, I, when I'm, if you could say it, it's like, this is all sort of the feel goods of being an entertainer when you create a piece of work and the people respond to it and, and it's not manufactured, it's real emotion. So, um, that was in Evansville, drove up, came to the show and I had the mindset, I want to come up to you. You know, I was going to talk with Toby. Toby, I'd love for you to perform, open the show or play on the show. Or I don't you know, I, I don't know where it was, but I already had in my mind, I wanted to be a part of the show. And then I said, Hey, Toby, wouldn't you always want to kick my ass? Cause again, been Stiller, look, I can put over China. I can put over entertainers, actors, Chuck Norris, Beetlejuice. Well, I didn't ever put Beetlejuice. No, No, I'm kidding. But, look, that's what I do. And I take a lot of pride in making other talents look good. I knew that was a skill set that I was gifted with. Sato, as a young man, told me when I was young, Jeff, you've got a unique way of selling that makes your opponents look good. That was, like, inbreded in me, my very first angle, when Bill Dundee beat me up, all that. So, Toby, hey, I want you to uh, be a part of the show. What do you think? Uh, oh, and on top of that, you get, you get to kick my ass for the night. And he joked and like, I mean, you know, he, he, that, you know, he, got into it l- later. And I will tell you that on another episode, but he, uh, th- this spot that we did on show one was a part of his opening montage of video for multiple years after it. So Toby loved wrestling, always did grew up in Oklahoma. He loved it. He's a big dude, all fields, football player, but, but a great singer songwriter. But anyhow, uh, went up Toby. I want you part of the show again in that marketing mindset, country music, NASCAR and professional wrestling.
0: Toby was cutting you a buddy deal. Not, not, not hitting a lick on you.
2: Uh, Toby's buddy deal is still pretty steep, but I'll, uh, uh, I'll leave that it look, I've talked about numbers on the show, but, but out of respect for Toby, I won't go into it, but he was a brother of a brother deal, but it was still uh, a healthy paycheck.
0: So your dad has a meeting with Bob Wessler, the president at Turner pictures, AKA Ted's top guy. He says that, uh, Ted's face lights up at the mere mention of professional wrestling and your dad basically sells him on the vision of what TNA is going to be, and eventually Bob just flat out says, Jerry, how could Turner fit into this project? And, uh, Bob wants to see a proposal FedExed over in a few days, and then he's going to go present it to Ted himself. And obviously this is unbelievably exciting news to your dad. Were you at this meeting? Talk me through this excitement.
2: was no part of it. No, no part of it. And, and, you know, I was, uh, never doubt mold man, just because uh, I, I'd seen his track record on, on a lot of different things. Some folks say that about me, never doubt anyway, but, but, you know, i I'd, I'd never I was never a part of it. And and I knew that look, Vince, he shut it down. I I didn't ever have any hope. Um, I just had no hope that, that Turner would get in the game. Never.
0: Well, your dad's pumped. So when he leaves the meeting, he's so excited. He calls Randy Savage and he gets Randy fired up and Randy just flat out says, send me a contract. Did you think at this point, Savage was a real possibility? No, your dad felt like at this time, the top stars, according to the book would be Jeff Jarrett, Ken Shamrock and Randy Savage. Uh, he also described the second tier talent as Sid, Udi, Brian Lawler and road dog, uh, talk me through Shamrock, Sid and road dog road dog. And you go way back. He's uh, on the outs with WWE. So that seems like a no brainer, just based on the relationship. The last time we saw Sid, he had his leg flopping around, but once upon a time, Quite the draw main eventing a couple of WrestleManias and then Ken Shamrock who had made a name for himself outside of the WWE. And then obviously had a great run there. And now here he is here, uh, doing some big stuff. I mean, he's, uh, in the middle of some really big pay-per-view stuff. The prior year with uh, Tito Ortiz chat me up about Shamrock Sid and road dog and how they came to be or didn't.
2: Road dogs, this simple. I you know, I saw I was first hand witness and and we documented on me and Owen wanting to work with the New Age Outlaws, but then Brian going single and the merch sales and what a unique I mean he was the attitude era in so many ways personified. Uh and and a and a mega single star at the time. Um that that and also it goes without saying one of my best friends, <laughs> but but he, he was a no-brainer. Uh, Sid, I was in the ring when his leg broke and he had told me, yep, I'm going to make a comeback. I'm, you know, and, and so Sid, you just said it, he had been a big box office attraction. Look, I was in Nashville when Tojo was training Sid before he broke in. I'm a high school kid. So me and Sid go way, way, way back. Uh, but, but Sid was going to get back in the game. And, um, what I, you know, I was excited about that. Um, it shamrock's the guy that 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 I don't uh, I, I sort of want to I'll say as we say granular get on this because as much as the quote unquote uh PNA double entendre, I wanted to go the other way with I love Kenny. I worked with Kenny at WWE WWF at the time, but but the 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 mindset of UFC and Kenny um, Kenny being led can have great matches. Uh, but I really like Ken as a talent to represent the brand coming out of the gate. Um, again, born and raised in Memphis, uh, you know, the, 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 people who get over the, 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 best are the ones who play an extension of their personality. Ken uh, and Tito, great showmen, but huge box office attraction, huge pay-per-view box office attractions. So, it, 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 as much as I wanted to put an anchor in the ground uh, of of the kind of wrestling we were going to have, Ken was he checked all the boxes, and so uh, Ken was up there. I, I I still, you know, Randy just wasn't going to him and my dad had a unique relationship. I never saw Randy, quote unquote, coming and being a part of a startup.
0: Let's um, let's keep it moving here because your dad would continue. That he's hopeful he could land Scott Steiner, China, and the ultimate warrior. <laughs> any insight on China? I mean, obviously there is uh, an, uh, a built-in storyline for the two of you. Did you have any conversations with China headed into your first show?
2: I didn't. And I can remember specifically me as a talent wanting to get away from that. I felt like I don't need to go back to that. Well, I'd seen it all through the years, not just me, but like what I'm saying, the proverbial going back to the well. Well, but that's for you
0: creatively. Uh, Is this an example of you struggling to take your wrestler hat off and not your promoter hat? I mean, she was once upon a time, one of the biggest names in the industry. I'm
2: talking about, I thought you were alluding to me and her work.
0: I mean, do you want her on the show somewhere? Hell yes. Okay.
2: Yes. Uh, Again, I'm going to go back to me being, uh, a witness, night in, night out, on live event after live event after live event, and and knowing the reaction she got walking to the ring, the aura she presented. Obviously, my matches and and, and my storyline with her. But even outside of that, when when DX, you know, the New Age Outlaws and, and X Pac and, and and Hunter and and uh, China, China was box office. Just the look. Of course, I wanted her as a part of the roster.
0: Well, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about some other stuff here. The, the deal with the pay-per-view companies at the time is you have to have your marketing ready way in advance. And we've talked about that a lot with Eric Bischoff over on 83 weeks. So your dad writes that you guys need professional photo shoots done with talent to start promoting, Hey, here's our first show and here's where you can get it. But at this point, even though Savage said, send me a contract, he's not signed. And your dad would say one of his concerns that was voiced on the phone with Jerry was, Hey, is Andrew involved? Cause I don't want to come in. If Andrew's involved, it's fascinating that you feel let down by Andrew. And so does Savage. And really it was a problem between the three of you, but either way, Savage wants not only his agent to take a look at the contract, but as accountant, your dad's doing most of the handholding here for Savage. Is that just because of their relationship back to the very start of Savage's career?
2: Again, all of it. Okay. All of it. And, and that was, you know, hindsight is 2020, but, but not having a single point of one person running talent relations. I know we don't, didn't call it that then, but it was uh, a, those were some early juggling days that look, we were running by the seat of our pants as well, but still difficult, very difficult. You eventually
0: say dad, let's just market it as wrestling, but different. And your dad loves that vision. And you guys craft a mission statement and a plan statement You're working on a flow chart and all this good stuff. How are you enjoying the administrative side of the business as you're getting ready
2: for your first show? When you talk about, and I thought you were headed toward the the image spots. I had that in my head that, you know, this is, you're almost going, uh, instead of Meltzer, you're, you're having this book as your complete guide. In reality, just sort of the image and the branding, um, from the very beginning was, Look, Road Dogg or Sid or any of these different talent, I, I love Kenny, I, I, I will say that, but the NWA, we're going to get into on, on what represents, but the total non-stop, total non-stop action, commercial free, a, a little TNA, he, all of that branding is was, was my mindset really from the beginning. And again, Vince, again- not going completely opposite uh, of of, of WWF at the time, but definitely different. And Vince has always been everybody's in one big lump sum. Everybody's heavyweights. And I had in the back of my mind an extra division and a tag. I didn't want to go women yet because I didn't think there were enough wrestlers out there, but I want them involved. They were going to be involved in storylines. Obviously, Mickey James was a part of few. I mean, you know, there were women all over the show, even in the early days but, but I wanted it to be different, just what you said. And, and, and so maybe my dad marked it in that time, but very, from the very beginning, I knew we need to present a professional wrestling product that is different from Vince.
0: Yeah. I mean, Eric Bischoff always says you can be better than less than or different than, and you're definitely choosing different than, uh, let's have two more little brief conversations. Then we'll wrap this episode up, but before we do, I want to remind everybody that you and I are hitting the road, Jack. Saturday, June 12th, Jeff and jeffandconradlive.com is where you can pick up your tickets to see us do our thing at Jimmy's Famous Seafood in Baltimore, Maryland. That's right. The home of the best crab cakes in the world is now the home of stories you can't hear right here on the podcast. And we're going to get you some swag that you can't buy. And it's all happening on Saturday, June 12th in Baltimore. It's like podcast Palooza. The day before, we've got Hawkins and Ryder. The day after, we've got the Good Brothers but Saturday is your main event. The hall of famer himself, double J. What are some stories or some topics that we might be talking about there in Baltimore? Jeff, if you had to guess.
2: Man, uh, Baltimore arena, just the layout of that arena is a lot of fun to discuss that whole area. Uh, got some TNA stories, but, um, you know, I wrestled Benoit in a ladder match there. That was, I don't want to say spontaneous, but it, it was, uh, in a lot of ways, one of those matches that, that came out of nowhere but uh chris we all know the 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 you know how excuse me how it all ended but that was a night as a performer we kicked the crap out of each other uh i'll get into a a couple of really unique stories about that ladder match um in that area at a six man tag, wasn't in Baltimore, but at the cap center, what is it called? Uh, where, where, it's at, at Dana DC, same area. I had a six man tag with Ray Mysterio. Um, th- there's, there's some WCW stories involving Baltimore, uh, Washington, uh, area, even though BWI Marriott, um, maybe those are the podcast stories, uh, that, that are not fit for air, but, um,
0: yeah, sex, drugs and rock and roll baby. And it's happening Saturday, June 12th, at Jimmy's Famous Seafood, pick up your tickets right now at Jeff and ConradLive.com. We want to acknowledge this is not going to be a let's see how many people we can shoehorn in here deal. It's very limited seating. I don't know that we'll have any available day of, so claim your tickets right now. By the way, they're all getting the VIP treatment. You'll get to meet Jeff, get your picture, get your autograph, the whole deal. We've got some really cool swag and some very special swag if you're in that front row area. So Uh, stay tuned. We've got more details coming because we've just locked down our very first surprise guest. I don't know how this, how big this show is going to get, but I will tell you the first guest that we don't want to announce that is a surprise is a Baltimore favorite. People are going to flip when they see who's there with Jeff and I, and you need to be there. Pick up your tickets right now. Jeff and Conrad It's Saturday, June 12th at Jimmy's famous seafood. It's Jeff and Conrad So your dad describes a meeting with Russo and yourself where Vince basically said, um, your dad sort of presses, Hey, can you present Jeff as our main event star if we can't get Savage and we can't get Steiner on paper? Can you present him as the top guy? And Russo basically says no, because Southerners aren't ass kickers. And the audience knows that. And your dad doubles down and said, well, aren't you the guy who helped craft double J and the chosen one? And Vince admits, yes. And supposedly your dad and you have a conversation after where your dad sort of crosses his arms and says, see, son, this is what I was talking about because your, your, your buddy Vince is campaigning saying we got to have sting or we've got to have, uh, Scott Steiner, or we've got to have Ken Shamrock. We need Randy Savage. We need big, badass established characters. And then maybe in a year we can work Jeff into that spot. Do you remember that conversation? Your dad sort of writes as if it was almost an aha moment for you. Like, okay, now maybe I get what dad was saying
2: about Vince. (laughs) I have never been under the delusional mindset that quote unquote, I was the guy, I was the heel to put over the guy, right? It it just, and look, I've been baby paste parts of my career, but there was, when you peel that onion back a little bit deeper, for whatever reason, I'll go into the southerner New Yorker that really stuck in my old man's yeah. brawl and vice versa. Yeah. Doesn't like southerners. He may say he does, but he thinks they're lesser than. Him. Stupid. He just does. Yeah. Uh,
0: he thinks we're stupid.
2: He does. Yeah. <laughs> He actually does, which is comical, yeah. but it is what it is. Um, but that never really – look, I, I know my relationship with Vince. I know when it got right down to it, what – you know, Vince in his writing, he always – right or wrong, in his mind, he he put the best players on the field when they, when they could. And yeah. so I understood both sides. I, I do remember, like, thinking to myself, and even JB, I'm like, man, this refereeing between these two what is going on? It's like they wanted to put their flag in the ground early. And it's like, don't we have a lot more to worry about? So in, in my mind, hearing you say that I'm positive. My dad was hoping quote unquote, that it would be the aha moment. Like, see, I told you that that just wasn't a reality. And on the other hand, you know, Vince going, well, I don't see that. And that's just how Vince is. He's, he's, It's easy to write a show with 30 superstars. It's really hard to write with two. So what makes a writer's job easy? Have as much talent as you possibly can.
0: And to be fair, your dad was probably falling back on his tried and true vision that had worked for so many years with Lawler. So for lack of a better word, you're his new Lawler, right?
2: Maybe. Uh, Yeah, yeah, maybe. But that's where like his new Lawler, it was very clear in that relationship. My dad was the majority owner of the territory. He had booked Jerry from an opening match guy and Nick Gulas and you know, or brought, you know, brought up to the ranks. Old man was the boss. That's where the rubber meets the road. Very beginning when we decided sixty five thirty-five. Old man wasn't the boss of my creative. Period. So
0: what does your dad do next? He picks up the phone and has a conversation and a negotiation and at least agrees verbally do business with the ultimate warrior and we'll pick it up there next week. Business is a picking up. We're going to talk about uh,
2: the land. If you're looking for a title
0: <laughs> next week, we're oh, going to talk God. about everything else on the way to that first show, the national wrestling Alliance. We didn't get into that. We didn't talk about bill Barron's and we didn't talk about Jason Hervey. We haven't talked about Mike today and Ferrara, Don West, Richard Scrooge. That's a story you don't want to miss Burt Prentice. Dan Severin, Scott Hall, Dusty Rhodes, and so much more. We're going to be back next week with another episode. And, uh, so Jeff, here we are. We're, uh, winding down part one of the story of you starting your own wrestling promotion. And, uh, you you weren't exactly sure how granular we were going to get, but there's still so much more to talk about, you know, girls in cages and Jim Barnett going to the WWF and Vince Russo going to the WWF and Dale Oliver and Monty Brown. And God, there's so much left. Were you pleased with what we did today? Huh? would you say, were uh, you pleased we, with what we did today?
2: See, this is, this is, a uh, this is brand. This is like opening match, new match, first time match for me on this type of a podcast, because. I have often thought over the years, and even dealing with the Carters and, you know, even Eric uh, Bischoff or, or, you know, the, the, the path to get us to where we are today, there's so many left turns and right turns and hills and ups and downs. And, and obviously, as I said here in 2021, divine intervention literally took place, in my opinion, multiple times. So I'm very appreciative of the fact that you do your homework, you study. You think through it. You read the book—some fiction, some fact—but but you are really digging down into this story, jogging my memory on some things. But when we really talk about my life story, all of these things happened, and they had the ups and the downs. And we're literally—would we get through maybe March? We haven't even got funding. Yeah, that, we're, how we're, early we are in the TNA story. I cut so, it
0: off April first, so we're through January, February, and March.
2: That's crazy to me. That yeah. We 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 did a podcast and we haven't even gotten funding, but it's been a fun ride. I, I hope uh, Conrad, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. But it's a lot of fun, uh, and man, we are literally just getting started on the TNA story.
0: Yeah, I mean, we haven't even ran the first show, and we've got some very special stuff planned coming your way. Next week, we're going to try to get through, uh, the rest of the lead up to that fateful day, June 19th, 2002, right down the road from me, Jeff at the old Von Braun civic center. And that you were there. I was there. Yeah. (laughs) I, you know, I hate to skip ahead, but your dad gives a report in the book that we're going to cover next week about how many tickets were sold in the first hour. I was one of those. So we'll talk about it all. Good, the good, the bad, and the ugly next week, right here on my world. Tell your friends, if you haven't already to uh, check out your new favorite wrestling podcast, it's going to be a fun story. And by the way, if you're not really into the business stuff and you really just want us here to break down old angles and stuff, don't worry. We'll be back to your regularly scheduled programming very, very soon. But I just feel like this is such a unique story that we don't want to skip over it and we're not going to skip over July 6th. We're going to talk about when Hulk Hogan screwed Hulk Hogan. Yep. It's that bash at the beach 2000 story you've been waiting for. The month of July will also see the story from in your house too. That's right. Where he walked out on Vince McMahon the first time. And of course we'll wind up the month of July with ain't I great talking all about Jeff's debut with the WWF. And of course, August, it's going to be another barn burner. We'll kick the month off starting with Dixie Carter and how you met her. It's going to be a fascinating tale, boys and girls. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button, leave us a five star review if you think we've earned it, and follow us on Twitter. You can keep up with everything happening with our show right there and even ask questions that we'll answer here on the show. It's at podcast. I want to remind you, too, you get the audio and the video of what we're doing early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. And we're finally going to get you down and, and, and have you watch your very first match with Tony Falk over at adfreeshows.com. And I'm going to make everybody. Make everybody listen to your first promo.
2: Oh boy. my God, that's painful. That is painful. <laughs> it was
0: something else. I laughed. I howled. I cried. It was a good roller coaster ride. It's Jeff Jarrett and his first podcast and his first match over at adfreeshows.com. And we had a fun idea yesterday. We were doing like a group conference call. We brainstormed some stuff. We might have some extra interesting content real soon for Adfree, huh?
2: Oh boy better
0: up <laughs> stay tuned boys and girls we'll be back next week right here on my world all right real quick before we get out of here i gotta say it one last time i want to save you money stop what you're doing and rush over to save with conrad.com this is going to be the best summer ever just ask miguel in plainsville ohio He left us a five-star review at conradreviews.com, and it said this. Big thank you to Conrad and his team. I enjoyed my experience working with First Family Mortgage. Jimmy was there. Anytime I had any questions, he was just a text message away. Saving money and refinancing my home couldn't have been any easier. Miguel's saving a whole bunch of cash, and you can too right now. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket, and if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. But I do want to mention, this isn't just for refinancing. Maybe you've outgrown your current home, or you're tired of throwing your money away on rent. First Family Mortgage can help you get into your next house fast and easy at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh yeah, no house payments for two months. Come on, let's make this the best summer ever with a little summer vacation from house payments at SaveWithConrad.com.
2: NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Woo!
1: John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together,